This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. everybody to wrestling omakase it is episode number 96 and this week i'm joined once again by taylor hi taylor hi how's it going good um taylor you're of course well known for being the most repeat guest on this podcast also well known for hosting for hosting for wearing shirts that are apparently uh very ugly and bad according to some people Yes, the ugliest shirts uh, ever made, in fact. <laughs> right up there with the APA pounding ass shirt, apparently. But what is it? Always pounding ass. There you go. Do you know anyone who bought that? I don't know anyone who bought that back in the day. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. I don't know anyone who wore always pounding ass. I did know somebody who wore that that Stone Cold uh, Two Snake shirt. I definitely saw that one in the wild. But... I never saw, you know, with the arms or the snakes or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you do own the champ you own the champion carnival shirt. I do. So, I mean, I will be honest, the first time I saw that shirt, it just made me think I really wish I had bought that shirt cuz it's like a, it was like a <laughs> like a limited run or whatever, but uh yeah, I don't know. I just thought that was funny. Caused a firestorm on Twitter today. Yes, the the most recent firestorm. Now that we don't have anything to uh, fight about, yeah, I know it's like a there's been a disarmament in the uh, the WWE wars of Twitter because like all of us, you you saw this today too, right? All of a sudden, like a lot of the pro WWE people have suddenly just been like, yeah, you know, never mind, it sucks. <laughs> it yeah, suck. I saw that. Yeah. So it's like a a what what was that called like a unilateral disarmament I guess like one side just is like throwing down their weapons like yeah we're we're done so <laughs> that's that's uh and before that obviously the big fight was uh actually no I don't I, I wouldn't really call it a fight because most like ninety nine percent of people were on one side but the it big... was an agreement mainly <laughs> which is very rare for wrestling Twitter I was surprised that no one came to the defense and was like wait a minute well somebody did in my mentions. Oh, real? oh yes, that's right. Yeah. Well, one person. So yeah. 98%. Yeah, but like, but we'll talk about that later, right? I think you probably know if you're listening what we're talking about, but uh, we'll get to it because it, the topic rears its ugly head in one show we're going to talk about in particular. But in the meantime, we're here to talk about New Japan because they just did their two wrestling Dontaku shows 
wrapping up the tour. And we're also going to talk a lot of Joshi, which, of course, you watch a lot of, Taylor, um, you know, even more than I do. So we're going to talk about the Stardom Cinderella Corican final, or Corican because it's, it's only one show, the Tokyo Joshi Pro Corican from May 3rd, and the Sendai Girls Corican, which is a few weeks old now. But it, it only aired, like, last week, right? It aired on the 27th or the 29th. I don't remember which one, but, yeah, just yeah, last yeah. week. And we, the show took place on April 16th, but it didn't air until, yeah, for quite a while. But, so those are the three Joshi shows we're going to talk about along with New Japan. Uh, so let's get right into New Japan, starting with Wrestling Dontaku Night 1, which was yesterday, uh, Friday, May 3rd. What did you think of the show overall, Taylor? I thought it was a I thought it was a good show. You know, I think uh, as we'll talk about in a second, the stuff at the top delivered, which is usually what's important because the stuff underneath usually is it is what it is for the most part. Yeah. Um, so I liked it. It was an easy show to get through for me because um, I actually when the main event went on, I went, oh, is this the main event? The show's gone pretty fast, and it was you know it was the main event. So I liked it. Yeah. Yeah, um, I agree. I thought it was a pretty good show. And I thought, for the, like you said, for the most part, the top stuff delivered. Um, let's see. The opener, though, was one of the... I think that's the second time they ran this match. They also ran this match at... Uh, oh, God. I think at, I think at Sengoku Lord, they ran the exact same six-man. Maybe I'm confusing it. Maybe it's Hiroshima or something. They ran so many shows on this show, on this tour, Taylor. Yes, yes. Like 10 million. Did you watch everything or no? So I watched everything, and I I was going to bring this up on the second show, but really I was fairly zoned out on the undercard stuff on night two just because I felt like I had seen these sort of matches like 50 times already. Yeah. And I'm well, like, so oh, God. Ugh. So when you said everything, you even meant like those road twos that were not in Corican. You watched all those shows. Oh, today? I didn't watch the road twos that weren't in Corican. I guess that's true. Okay. I didn't watch those because I skipped. Even I skipped those. I, I, I finally like got tired of. I can only handle so much road two, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I watched. I, I did watch the two elimination matches from the, um, the Wednesday road two, the last one, but I didn't watch the undercard. I just watched those two elimination matches. Um, okay, so the opener of Dontaku Night One, uh, Tomoaki Honma, Shota Umino, and Ren Narita against Toa Hanare, Yota Suji, and Yuya Uemura. Uh, Narita pinned Uemura in 10:46 with a front suplex hold. Uh, I, I can mention really quickly too before I forget, since I just said I watched the two elimination matches. They're fine. They're not like worth going out of your way to see from that Wednesday show, but. I think the main event, the Chaos and the Bushi versus Lij one, was like pretty good, like three and a half star good. The Bullet Club versus Team Goto one really wasn't that great. Really, nothing you need to watch. So, I mean, neither are anything you need to watch. But if you have time, the other one's better. I just think it, it missed the atmosphere of Korokin, you know, for those elimination matches because they did one in Osaka during the New Beginning tour, which they haven't done really that many of these elimination matches outside of Korokin. And I feel like whenever they have them outside of Cork and it's missing that atmosphere of like, I don't know, in Cork and like women fucking scream their heads off when, whenever a wrestler is like about to get dumped over the top rope. 
And I don't think, for whatever reason, the fans in Osaka or wherever the fuck the other one was, I think it was, uh, I, don't, I don't know where it was, actually, on the top of my head, the Wednesday show, um, you know, the, the fans out there just aren't as into these things. They don't get them as often. So there wasn't that, like, screaming terror every time there was a near elimination, which I think really hurt, actually really hurts the matches. I mean, they're just a lot better when people are screaming over every elimination. But yeah, the six-man tag, it was totally fine. I don't know what you could possibly say about it. It was fine. I like Narita's finisher, um, which I guess is a fin. I guess we can call it that because he's been using it to end the matches that, you know, so many finishers in New Japan seem to have these sort of, um, I don't know what you call them, like either setups or tells when, you know, there's the Rainmaker pose and there's the, you know, when you can sort of tell that, the finish the finisher is coming and this one seems to more often than not sort of come out of nowhere um which i like and i guess the only other thing i had is when are you know narita and umino leaving yes i mean every single fucking preview are right i end up asking this question like these these people are ready i don't know i mean it feels like i guess we're now at the stage of um with with i mean shotanaka and yohei kamatsu they were ready to go like what like a year before they left maybe more so right maybe they're just gonna hold on to these two guys forever just like they did with show and yao but i don't know maybe the next class isn't ready yet in the dojo but it's i mean you could you could still send them off though you don't even need to wait you got but having and, uh... four you've got four yeah you've got four guys so it's not like you're empty if the two of them leave and i have a i have a thought um on when they might leave but i'll save it for a little bit later in the show because it ties into something else okay so match number two suzuki goon uh minoru suzuki desperado kanemaru and takamichi noku defeating yoshihashi tiger mask yusuke Taguchi, and jushin thunder liger uh taka pin tiger mask in 957 with the michinoku driver um First of all, is Zach Taka's first one in like two fucking years? Because he didn't get any pinfalls um, last year, if I, remember, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I would have to go back and look. I mean, he's starting to wrestle more. I mean, obviously, he's in Best of the Super Juniors. But I feel like just because his volume has gone down means it's probably likely it is his first victory in a while. Yeah. Um, but it makes sense to get him back in – you know, to build him up for the tournament. He looks great, I um, thought. So he's not a total... I mean, he could still go. Obviously, he's been doing stuff elsewhere, but, you know. Yeah. And he, I thought he, he and Tiger Mask, I thought they had a really cool exchange towards the end of the match, so uh, which led to, ta- to Taka pinning him. But yeah, I mean, other than that, it was more the Liger-Suzuki stuff, which is cool, and not a lot to say about it. Yoshihashi is person who exists <laughs> he's pretty i mean we'll get to it at night too actually it's even worse but like he's he but like if you ever want to see a man collect a paycheck that is yoshihashi right now just does not give less of a shit yeah uh, i think i'll say about this no i don't have much <laughs> else to say no uh match three togi makabe toriano and will osprey defeating god and hikuleo in 725, Osprey pinning Hikule with the Oz cutter. This was a match. I don't know. This was whatever. I, I have mean, one. 
I have one thought on this match, which is that, and I think I understand why he does it, but Will Ospreay tends to flip over on lariats more than anyone else I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, he does it every time. And I feel like that, I mean, I think he's doing it to save himself from doing back bumps. But to me, that sort of thing is saved for like, I'm in a big match and my opponent just hit me really hard. Yeah. But it seems to happen all the time, which sort of bugs me, even though I get it from a physical perspective. Instead um, of I'm in a match and he hit me re- a big match, and he hit me really hard. It's I'm in a match and he touched me at all. Right. But that's that's how Osprey sells a lot of stuff, though. So, um, but I don't know. Like this, this God and uh, Makabe Yano feud, I almost feel like it's not getting enough hate. Like that was like such a drag on this tour. Pretty much anything involving the Bullet Club, except for Ishimori and Dragon Lily, was like the big drag on the tour. But this was like a like this was just nothing. I mean, they just didn't do anything at all with it, except for. The stupid, like stealing the belts back and forth shit. They they dropped that after like a week. So even that didn't like didn't even mean, end up meaning anything. So I don't know. And then Tomatonga got his Santa Claus bag or whatever he uses to carry the belts around now. Yeah, it's just fucking stupid. Like it's not even funny or interesting. It's just fucking dumb. So I don't know. I just was not a big fan of this. And um, okay, so. That brings us to the next match, though, which is the six-man tag team match with Kota Ibushi and Rapungi 3K against Naito and Shingo and Bushi. Um, this was the first. They, they ran the same match on both nights. Uh, this one was by far the shorter of the two. Um, it only went 11 minutes and 31 seconds. I think the, the second night one went longer. Let me just double check. Yeah, the second one went almost 14. So this is the shorter of the two. It was still good, but it just wasn't, you know... The the second one, I, I kind of figured going in that this was going to be, like, the lesser of the two of them because uh, this was, like, fifth from the top and the one on night two was third from the top. So I feel like they kind of saved the big all-out performance for night two. But this was still good, you know. It's not like it was bad. I mean, you got that much talent in the ring. It's pretty tough for it to be bad. What'd you think? Yeah, I thought it was good. I've liked the, um, I mean, obviously it sort of got resolved on the following night, but I liked that the Naito Abushi build has sort of avoided the, um, you know, drag apart brawl style of building to a match, um, which seems to happen a lot in that they just sort of, after the match, would hang out and go, hey, I want a match. Oh, interesting. You want to, like, it's a little bit of a change of pace that I liked um stylistically but in terms of match yeah it was a good match um it's one of those where i've you know we talked about all of these shows that i sort of saw the different combinations so many times that they sort of now in my brain have bled all together yeah um in a way but you know it's good match you know for the spot of the card uh you know and then after Afterwards, like you said, they've basically just had Naito. Like, Abushi's been asking Naito where he wants to do the match, which is, it's like a cool little reversal of the of the first time they did this title match where Naito was bucking Abushi to pick a place, and Abushi ended up picking MSG. So I think, you know, this time, like, there was real intrigue because, like, 
you did have two shows you could do it. I mean, you have June 9th at Dominion, but June 5th, the best of Super Junior final is at Ryogoku. So, I mean, that would have been big enough to do that as a semi-main, you know? So I thought at least there was actually, like, real intrigue. But, um, yeah, anyway, so that was a that was a cool little build, like you said, and we ended up getting paid off the next night. Uh, and then we had Juice Robinson, Hiroki Goto, and Mikey Nichols defeating Jay White, Bad Luck Fale, and Chase Owens, Juice pinning Chase in 11-23 at Pulp Friction. Again, I thought this was pretty much just a match. Nothing really to it. Um, you know, again, like the the white Goto thing, it was fine, I guess. It was just more of Goto looking like a geek, which I understand. I mean, they're building, you know, white's on a higher level and all that, blah, blah. But, like, I don't know. Just are, What do you think of the Goto thing? It's just really kind of sad to watch at this point, I feel, I feel like. It is. I would agree. I was going to use the word sad <laughs> as well. Um, yeah. It just is one of those bummers, and we'll talk about another one later in the show with uh, Jungle Kiona. But just something, someone who's obviously very talented, and but you just watch them in and out, just sort of lose, and it's just sort of depressing to watch. Um, it's not even like I've lost interest in Goto because I still like Goto. I think in other scenarios, I would just sort of be, I would say, well, forget this and just totally lose interest. But I think he's good enough. And then, of course, he can pull out the amazing match once every once in a while. Um, but he just seems to serve no point in the entire cup, like he's just a body that's there and occasionally they can go, Oh, put him in the match and he'll lose and whatever. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like so. the never, the never title thing. And we've it kind of destroyed him because it's like, he spent so long with that title, either winning it or challenging for it or winning it and challenging for it, like over and over and over again to the point where, you know, for two years, basically to the point where nobody wants to see him do that anymore but it's like they don't have any other position for him because, well, I mean, okay. They both don't have one and they refuse to fucking find one because there's no reason. There is no reason why he and Yoshihashi or he and Ishii can't, cannot be tag team champions. There is no fucking reason why we need G.O.D. to win these belts every two seconds and have them in these fucking boring title reigns that nobody cares about. Um, there's also no reason why he can't go for the U.S. title except they've arbitrarily decided that the United States title um, can only be challenged for by foreigners, which I still don't under Like, what is the fucking point of that? Why do you have a title that 70% of your roster can't challenge for? It is very, it's very, very weird. But I don't know. They refuse to find him any other spot. No one wants to see him back at the fucking never because they basically beat that dead horse, you know, to the point of rigor mortis. And, you know, he can't really go for the Intercontinental, the, the heavyweight, because those are above his station at this point. And I, I think he could, and I'm sure a lot of people listening probably think he could, but clearly they don't see him at that level anymore. So he's instead, he's in this stupid fucking spot where we forget he exists for months, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, well, Jay White needs a win because, you know, God forbid Jay White go a month without beating somebody in a singles match. So let's get Jay White a win over Hiroki Goto. And then he just loses, and now he's going to go back to doing nothing, probably. So, yeah, I'm not a big fan of this. It doesn't feel like it's leading anywhere. It feels like we're just wasting the last, like, prime years of his career before he hits, like, full dad status. So, 
two thumbs down for how they're booking Hiroki Goto. Um, next up, the special tag team match. Kazuchika Okada and Tomohiro Ishii against Sanada and Evil. Evil beat Ishii by ref stoppage in the Scorpion Deathlock, not by submission. Um, what do you think of this one? Um, I don't know that I even have that many thoughts. I thought it was, I thought it was fine. Why do you have a? Do you feel strongly <laughs> about it one way or the other? I don't at all. That's why I asked you. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you had like some kind of take where I could just be like, yeah, let's let Taylor talk. Cause I don't, I barely even remember the match that well. Yeah. I'm totally, I mean, I also, <laughs> I also watched this show and night two um, today. Oh, wow. So it was a, it was a lot. So I think this was one where it just sort of goes in the, you know, you watch it and you're like, okay, nothing, you know, it was what it was, but then the, you know, you see 10 more matches and it just goes out your brain. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking, I can look up what I rate it because I do, thank God for grapple here, I guess. So I went, I went three, oh, I went three and three quarters on it. I guess I liked it quite a bit. Um, <laughs> that's kind of funny, I guess. But yeah, I remember, you know, I guess I liked it, but I just don't remember anything about it, you know, a day later. It's more like I'm trying to remember specifically about the tag match and I just keep worrying that I'm remembering because these two people face each other's singles match the next day. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, evil, you know, I remember the, I guess I remember the end with the Scorpion Deathlock and, you know, it's, it seemed like Ishii was, you know, really struggling and the crowd was really into it. So I don't know. I think I just maybe slapped a rating on it and moved on with my life, but there you go. Uh, Jeff Cobb and Taichi. This I remember very well. Um, so we might as well get the comedy out of the way here. I gave this three and three quarters. I really boo, liked it. But... Boo. <laughs> but I just thought the middle was like, I don't know, like really, really boring and like and just not very interesting. But by the end again, they really got me into it. Um, and, you know, they, there was like a whole awesome stretch run with Cobb with this sick power driver out of the gut wrench and like Tai Chi counting the tour of the islands in this cradle, which is a great near fall. Um, and I like that Tai Chi actually got to beat him almost clean where he low blowed him, you know, and got the near fall off the, the Gato clutch. But then after that, I just hit the black Phantasmo and won, which I would have guessed he took a lot more cheating than that to beat him. But, you know, they're building Tai Chi up now, but yeah, I mean, I was like, Oh, you know, I went three and three quarters. I'm sure lots of other people are going to have it, you know, much lower. And I get in the slack and it's like Joe Lanza gives a four I think Dylan Justin gave it four, and you pop in with your rating, which you can just say your own rating. You're on the podcast. yeah, which is four and a fourth. Uh, although yeah. I do agree with you, if I mean, if we're thinking of the same part of the match, that's sort of the middle. I was sort of waiting for things to happen, and then all of a sudden, a lot of things were happening. Um, yes, but that seems to be the sort of format of Tai Chi matches, yeah, where the beginning starts incredibly slow and then the question is can they pick it up at the end which they did in this instance and sometimes the answer is no um i just thought it was great it got really hard hitting um the announcers i don't know if you listen to the japanese or the english um commentary um but the japanese commentary was losing their was losing their minds i thought they're gonna like you know scream themselves hoarse with this finish because they were ah um 
which I always love. So that probably gave that extra mm. qu- um, quarter star. Um, but, you know, I just like people, you know, hitting each other. I think there was at one point when Taichi just kicked Cobb in the face, um, which I really liked but was sort of taken aback by. Um, uh, but I just thought it was a really great, I mean, once they sort of got through that middle section, which I was sort of like, Oh, okay. I thought it was a really heated, good match. Did I say black Mephisto? I hope I did. I'm afraid I didn't say something else, but either way, whatever. Yes, I agree with you. I thought it was really good down the stretch. I just thought that that middle part was so boring that I would, you know, I don't know, really lost my interest for a little while, but you know, I'm I am not going to complain about a world where other people are rating tight team matches higher than me. Like we're we're in a good world now, if that's the case. But okay, the main event, the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Title. Oh, we I should mention too, Taichi won the fucking title, which I feel like I'm burying the lead there. So Taichi is now a two-time Never Champion, and like Minoru Suzuki came out and like gave him a almost like a proud evil father basically like was like good job son which i just thought was really funny but yeah this was awesome and i'm, I'm happy taichi is once again champion and now he gets to go we go into a show we're both going to with him as champion which is really cool so and we, i'm guaranteed to get at least a a full taichi entrance probably with miho abe carrying the title down so that's always appreciated yeah, we'll get into who his opponent is the following night, but it's totally what I guessed, I think. And then the main event, the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title, Dragon Lee defeating Taiji Ishimori in 2553 with uh, the Desnukadora. Desu Hopefully I at least came close there. Um, to retain the title. And again, really, really awesome match. I'm very glad they... I mean, the one thing I think anyone... We, we talked about this last week, too. Like, you cannot complain about these long tours when it comes to, like, giving different matches that don't only get to go 25 minutes, you know, these long-ass matches. And I think this this and the, the junior tag title match both really benefited from it. Benefited from it. Um, you know, this was... You know, I went four and a quarter on this. I thought it was awesome. Um, I thought Ishimori's, like, crucifix bomb counter was one of my favorite spots in the match. Uh, Dragon Lee, like, one-upping that Apron Rana by Ibushi to Naito from MSG by doing it, doing one where he, like, starts in the ring and, like, kind of, like, one-arms his way over onto the apron. I think he's done that before, but it was an awesome spot. Um, there were, like, a couple spots I thought could have looked a little cleaner and maybe were a little, like, um, a little awkward. And to me, for a massive, such a big spot fest like this, you have to knock it down a little bit for that. But the fact that I managed to go 25 minutes without dragging is very impressive. And that's why I'm still going four and a quarter here. Uh, I went four and a half. I really liked it. I was really down on Ishimori at the beginning of the year when he won the title. Cause I felt that he had been good, but not really great except outside of the um, best of the super juniors match um, last year. But he has been very good, and I thought that this match was great. Um, I really love the sequence um, of the suplex. The I, I don't even know what you call it. Uh, the snap suplex off the ropes into the Canadian Destroyer. Um, 
that whole sequence I thought was really strong. I mean, I think Dragon Lee is a lot of people love him and think highly of him. And I think even with a lot of the praise he gets, he's still a little bit underrated to me. Um, you know, he's up there, obviously he's linked with Hiromu. Um, but I think he's up there in terms of talent when he gets opportunities like this to deliver, um, which when he's in CMLL, because of the way that company works, those opportunities come less often than they probably should. Um, so I'm happy to see him with the title here. Um, and I thought it was a really strong match, really fun match. Um, yeah, so I went four and a half. So overall, pretty good show, especially since the last two matches delivered. And it's not the undercard was awful or anything, so good show. Definitely a lot better than Dontaku Night 1 last year. Do you remember that? No, what was the, what was the card? <laughs> the main events were uh, that fucking Cody Ibushi match that proved the Tokyo Dome one was a miracle. Oh, it was a fluke, yeah. Yeah, and then the Kenny, Cody, the Kenny Page match that was like pretty decent but also had like one of the most dead crowds ever here for a new japan made event like the crowd just didn't give a single shit so um yeah that show fucking sucked i mean that was one of the worst shows of the year last year but you know this year i think you know, obviously a big big improvement you should mention the attendance too so i just told you what the main event was which was it was a kenny omega match which you know whatever you may think of the guy that he's a pretty big star this show did, only did 55 less fans than that show from last year. It did 4,011, I think, versus 4,066. So at that scale, you're talking basically the same. So a junior title match and Taichi versus Cobb, the never title, did the same, basically the same attendance as the big Bullet Club Civil War thing with you know top stars Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi in the top two matches. That's pretty impressive, I think. But I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on the attendance? Um, I mean, it's good they kept it up there. I mean, I'm happy to see. I mean, I think it was a little bit of a strange. The whole sort of year last year, looking back in hindsight, was sort of a bizarre year. Yeah. Um, and I think in five years or so, we're going to look back and go, what was up with that? What was mm-hmm. going on? I mean, obviously, we know certain things that were going on, but just feels very strange to think back. I mean, you mentioned the matches, and I, I don't even know if – not knowing them, if you had asked me if I would have ever been able to pull those two matches out <laughs> of, of my brain, I just don't know that I would have been able to do it because that was just such a bizarre pre- period of time in in the company. Yeah, the fa- the, fa- the crowd just didn't give a shit. They just really didn't give a shit about that that fucking ball club civil war thing. But other than that, the only time I can say they ever gave a shit was uh, that. They did. Re- they reacted a lot better to, to the Corican, uh, the Honor Rising Corican, when you know Kenny and Coda, you know, got the team together. But I think that was as much about just seeing the Golden Lovers come back together than it was about anything with the Bullet Club Civil War. So, um, but yeah, I mean, just a much better show this year for Dontaku Night One. Uh, so that brings us to Dontaku Night Two, which of course was today uh, on May fourth. So. The opener here was a the, the two young lion teams going head to head, Shota Umino and Red Narita defeating Yota Suji and Yuya Urimura in seven thirty six. Umino pinning Suji with the Fisherman Suplex. It was another solid young lion tag. 
Agreed. Yes, not going to say about that. <laughs> and then the ten man tag after that was a the Suzuki Goon team of Minoru Suzuki, Taichi, Kanemaru, Desperado, and Taka defeating Jeff Cobb, Yoshihashi, Toa Hanare, Tiger Mask, and Ryusuke Taguchi. Uh, Taichi pinned to, to pin Toa Hanare with the Juji Hyo, which apparently is what they're calling his super kick because he just kicked him in the head and pinned him. Um, first of all, if you haven't been watching the promos, Hanare has been teasing that he wants a shot at the Never title, which like for, is fucking ridiculous <laughs> from like a storyline perspective because I don't think he's ever pinned anyone other than Young Lion, you know? Um, and, and it's not like he's been on some huge roll. He's gotten a few Young Lion pins. He still gets pinned all the time. It's, it's really, really ridiculous that he even suggested that. So it, I was afraid they were actually going to do that match, but I don't think they're going to do it now since Taichi just, you know, the new Never Champion just pinned him in this tag. And it seems like we know his direction now for his next title shot. But yeah, I don't even know. It was weird they had an RITZ wanted it, but um, just to, to had done anything even to remotely deserve it. And then the other person who teased you wanted shot was Taguchi, but he is going to get a one-on-one match with Taichi at uh, Takataichi Mania, which I believe is coming up on May 7th, so a few days after most of you listen to this. So that um, I, that match, as far as I know, is still non-title. So maybe they'll have Taguchi win the big upset and get a title shot. I doubt it, though. But yeah, any thoughts on this 10-man tag? Uh, no. <laughs> no. I like the super kick finish a lot. That's It's a cool finish, I think. Hope he does it more. Look, he I mean, it was sort off. of interesting to see finally a little bit of a change from the Liger Suzuki stuff, but you know, yeah, not that I haven't liked it, but I've now seen it seven times or however many times. Yeah, I I like him in this. I mean, he's 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 slowly been like. I mean, Gerard, we had on last week, talked about this in the review. It feels like Taichi's now morphing the style a little bit, where he's being more like subtle in his heel mannerisms and he's also like relying a lot more on the kicking which i think will help him get over with some people that like have resisted him so far but we'll see some people get very stubborn like uh people i know uh this is also the match too where yoshihashi like to me redefined doing nothing where taguchi was doing like that the spot where he like waves everybody in like he's the baseball manager and just waving everybody in to, to do the running clothesline. And everybody else is, like, running full steam. And then Yoshiashi gets up there and does, like, at best a half jog. And it's like, you know you're mailing it in when you're even mailing in your comedy run, basically. He's, like, just trotting when everybody else is running. So, I mean, I'm not hating on the guy. The guy's doing nothing. So I don't really I don't know if I weigh on that much. But it is just I just thought it was funny. Uh, but yeah, this ended up being pretty fun by the end. I liked I liked the final stretch with Taichi and Hanare, uh, but it didn't go that long. So, and then up next was the Bullet Club tag: uh, Jushin Thunder Liger, Toge Makabe, and Toriyano defeating Tama Tonga, Jado, and Tonga Loa. Uh, Yano pinned Jado with a schoolboy in 7:40. This was not very good. I didn't think it was just kind of just a match. Um, Wait, it did. Sorry, you mean that? Gato? Oh, is no, cage J- match wrong? Oh, cage match is yeah, wrong. Yeah, it's Jado. Okay. Oh, yes, so, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Jado got pinned here, and whatever, man. I don't know. Uh, this did make Bullet Club like 0 for 4 on their anniversary weekend, which I thought was funny. But 
you know, I'm sure they did that on purpose because they lost all three matches the previous night too, including obviously Ishimori in the main event. But they had those fucking kimonos that look ridiculous. I don't know if you look if you have any. We've already given fashion opinions. Those kimonos look kind of stupid. I didn't even. I looked at them and I went, "Why are they wearing wrestling dantaku kimonos?" And then I saw the date and I was and I thought, "Oh, it's the anniversary kimono, I guess." Um, I mean, they were at the end of the day inoffensive. I guess you just walk in with them and you take them off, but. It's just so straight, you know. Oh, it's been six years. I mean, in some ways, it feels like it's been longer than six years. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but yeah, another match. You know, sort of this undercard was my, you know, I was like, it's the end of the tour. Most of the most of the matchups are matches that have happened on previous nights, so the heat isn't there to build anything. Um. Until obviously we get to a couple matches from now when we have a debut and stuff like that, but you know, largely sort of inoffensive matches on the undercard. Oh, we forgot to mention too the lot the previous night they, they played that video after Juice's match. Actually, they played on both nights, but they first on the first night with the the times up guy. Yes, uh, which I, I guess is probably Chris Brooks from Red Pro. That seems to be the popular guess. Um, I, I can't tell you if the guy is good or not. I don't watch British wrestling, but I've heard no, that he's not. So who the fuck knows, I guess. So I think it's definitely not Chris Brooks oh, because okay. the hands don't look at all like Chris Brooks' hands. Um, and I mentioned this earlier. I think it's Oka because well, that I, would think, be awesome. I think Oka comes back and I, th- and I would hope Kawada would go to Ring of Honor, which is the usual – you know, they go to CMLL, then they go to Ring of Honor, and then you can send Mino and Narita, one of them to CMLL and one of them to Rev Pro, because then you've got the spots open. Because they usually don't send more than one person to the same company at a time, um, unless I'm misremembering someone. Well, unless but, they're like a show and yell were like a tag team, but that's about it. Well, yeah, they were, a, you know, they were sort of, you know, put together in a tag team, but yeah, so that's one, but. To me, it would be Oka. I mean, I it didn't look like Brooks to me, certainly. Um, but the fact that they were teasing some that it was some British person, I mean, I hope it's not some, you know, down the rung, you know, British <laughs> British guy who all of those people run together for me. They're all, you know, interchangeable. And I'm sort of growing tired of sort of middle of the road white people showing up in New Japan, but um, boy, boy, are you not wrong there. <laughs> um, and, uh, I, and I think Oka would be, you know, you know, he got stuck with a bad gimmick like a lot of people do when they go on an ex- excursion, but I think he could be very good. Um, wish New Japan maybe would um, discover that there's other weapons in the world outside of knives uh, <laughs> that people use. Um, lots of edgelord stuff. Um with including the video after the main event, <laughs> which is all everyone wears a leather jacket and you know hangs out in creepy bars and tents and shit like that. So, um, what I was gonna say about that too is it's I saw someone I think it was Brady on Twitter um, 
who pointed out like Gato kind of just took the Hiromu one and the Jay White one and just put them to- and like mashed them together, <laughs> which is kind of true. It's like time and knife, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, I I hope it's Oka because that's a good way to bring him back. Is like just put him right in a feud with Juice Robinson and maybe let him beat him for the U.S. title. I mean, God knows that U.S. title needs something. And, you know, not that I don't, I don't really have anything against Juice Robinson, but like Juice versus shitty foreigner of the month has gotten really old, <laughs> really, really old. Um, and that's maybe a little harsh to chase in Beretta, but like maybe the better term that is Juice versus not over foreigner of the month because like it's just not, it just has not worked at all. Um, so I hope they, they go in a different direction with that belt and maybe make it mean something. You know, it's not like Juice can't win it back from him, maybe, but. I just need to try something else other than Juice goes through all the other foreigners. Because um, just none of the other foreigners are over right now. I mean, like, I was afraid they were going to do Juice versus Mikey Nichols next. And, like, that would have been, like, the most boring match you could have done because, you know, Mikey just is not even... I mean, Mikey is not over even, like, to chase Owens's level, let alone, like, you know, someone who's actually really over in Japan. So... Uh, but yeah, so that's pretty much it, I guess, for that. And the, the video played again after the next match. Oh, do you think it could be David Finley? I've seen that speculation. Um, I mean, I guess it could. It could be a lot of. It could be a lot of people. Um, yeah, I, I just hope it's not Chris Brooks I or just, some other random white person. I mean, I from what everyone's been saying, I guess I like Brooks more than most people. I guess I'm learning that. Um, but I like him more as a tag wrestler. Um, the thing about Finley is that it doesn't just the idea behind, okay, if it's Finley, you're saying that Finley's been in new Japan for many years and not really doing much of anything. And he gets injured and then new Japan goes, okay, we'll give him, uh, I just don't see the logical mm. steps behind that of going, ah, he got injured. This is the moment we're finally going to push David Finley. Well, maybe they feel like it's an opportunity to kind of repackage him and give him a shot. I mean, they were already starting to give him some wins before he got injured, finally. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you could be right. Maybe it's too drastic with Steph. But look, I would, I'd be fine with it being Finley. I'd be really happy if it's Oka. Because I think Oka, like you, I think Oka has a lot of potential. I like to see them really give him a shot i think it could be a good spot for him uh chris brooks i don't you know i don't know enough about the guy to tell you if it's gonna be good or bad i just not that interested and i definitely don't want to see just some other random uh brit res person so like you said we have enough fucking white people and i mean something like brooks and gresham against like rapongi 3k or um los and gobernobles uh what did you (laughs) that was my I for some reason I lost my ability to say Los Ingobernables. Los Ingobernables. Los and see, I'm still I've still lost it because I'm so distracted by Chris Brooks. Um no, but like matches in the junior because I've seen Brooks have very good tag matches, but I consider him a much better tag wrestler than a singles wrestler. Mm-hmm. But I don't know the idea of bringing him in and then tagging him with someone who's appearing also for the first time in Gresham because they're a, they're a sort of semi-regular team. Um, and I just think the junior division, I don't know that they're really all that concerned with bringing in more junior tag 
um, teams at this point because they've just, I think, as we'll talk in the next match, created, I think, a new one. Yeah. Um, but I just don't see – I mean, the hands to me was the giveaway where it doesn't look anything like – I mean, maybe they, you know, film someone else's hands, but – Yeah. So after that, we had the the match that made Bullet Club go 0 for 5 where Goto, Juice, Mikey Nichols, and Hornmud defeated Jay White, Bad Luck Fale, Chase Owens, and Hikuleo. Uh, Juice pinning Hikuleo 11.57 with the Pulp Fiction. And that's where they played the Time's Up video again. Can I say something, too? People seem to be on this train now with Hikuleo where it's like, oh, he's showing a lot of promise. Do, I don't, do you see that? Because I really don't see it. Like He just looks I, like a guy to me. No, I don't see it. He looks like a big, tall guy who loses all the time. Like... I don't really see. He still looks pretty green to me. He hasn't shown me any. Like, he doesn't show any flashes. Like, the problem to me is he has no. There's no flash of in ring charisma yet, you know? And, like, that's something you. Like, you can get better as a worker with more experience. I mean, some people never do. I mean, you never. So you never know. But you can get better at that. But it's much harder to get better in ring charisma. It does happen. I mean, look at, like, Shinsuke Nakamura, probably the most famous example. But it's much rarer than getting better as a worker. So usually if, with in-ring charisma, if you don't show it early on, it can be really, really hard to show it later. So that's my, that would be my big problem with him is just, he, he doesn't have any presence to him, especially for a guy that big, like there's nothing about him that makes you like really want to like keep your eyes on him. So that's my he big very, issue. He has very feathered hair. Which <laughs> always throws me off because every time he comes out, I think he's about to go in for a like a shampoo commercial where they say, "Oh, your luscious locks will be restored." Um, so I don't know the whole thing. I'm just thrown off by something. He has the look like he just carries himself sort of like a kind guy, but he's obviously supposed to be a heel because he's in Bullet Club. Um, yeah, he has Big Show syndrome. He's like a big dude, but he looks like he's probably really nice in real life. So, yeah, I mean, but he's young. I know people are now going, oh, he's getting great. But, you know, I don't think so. But it doesn't mean he could, you know, turn it around at some point. But not for me yet. Then we had the debut of El Phantasmo, team with Taiji Ishimori, defeating Dragon Lee and Will Ospreay. Uh, this match went just under 10 minutes. Uh, does Phantasmo's finish have a name? Because they just call it a modified face buster here. Uh, uh, I, I don't know. So he pinned Osprey. This was pretty good. I went three and a half on this. Uh, it was pretty fun. You know, just, just an all-out spot fest junior tag. I mean, there's a couple things I want to talk about here. First of all, I don't – I've never – this is probably my first time ever seeing Phantasmo. And he looked, he looked fine. I don't really – didn't come away with a huge – feel for him yet um just kind of came off like a flippy white guy which i guess is what he probably is um he didn't like really annoy me in the match either though so that's good i guess uh do you have any hot takes on on elp so i've seen him once before i saw his match two years ago he had a match in canada with um kyle o'reilly that was really good i gave it four stars but that was the first and only time i've ever seen him um, I thought he was good, like you, sort of generic. Um, there were three things that bugged me. The first was spitting on the hand. I'm 
incredibly anti-spitting, um, especially in the, you know, if you're doing a s sort of spit on your opponent like Naito does, I'm s okay with that because it sort of involves less like, look at my thing of spit I have. Um, so I didn't like that. I didn't like the thing where he had um, Osprey in the Tree of Woe and then he just went and he stood on his nuts. Yeah, that was, um, that was pretty stupid. Didn't like that. And then I didn't like at the end when he teabagged Will Ospreay with the medical uh, ice bag. I didn't like, like, it all came off, like, all three of those things came off as very sort of juvenile to me in a weird way where I was like, ooh, I don't, like, this is like some weird white guy who thinks that, you know, teabagging someone is funny, like some bro who's like, hey, isn't this hilarious? And it's like, yeah. no, it's sort of just stupid. Um, but, I mean, he, d he did well in the ring. I mean, certainly better than some other people have done in their first match, especially with the big hype with all the video with the video playing all the time. Um, and I think that he, um, I mean, I don't know. I sort of booked it out to, I can imagine that they would have a junior title shot on Dominion. I mean, that's what I'm thinking he and Ishimori oh, junior, will be doing. Junior tag? Junior yeah, tag. junior tag. Yeah, junior yeah. tag. Um, um yeah, which that'd be cool. I mean, look, the junior tag feud needs to go somewhere else now, clearly. And, you know, I think they could probably have a really good match, those four guys. I mean, Taiji's been awesome all year in Silver Punky 3K. So even if Phantasmo's not great, how far can he drag that? How far down can he drag that, you know? I mean, it'd also be nice to get him. I mean, this has only been one match, so uh, it's not really a complaint of mine. But to get Phantasmo into a match where he's not across, he's not doing the Spider-Man meme with Will Ospreay. <laughs> yeah, um, so, and just to see him against two people who are very different than him, instead of like I'm Will Ospreay and I'm El Phantasmo, and we're sort of the same two versions of the same guy. Um, Will in general just works so much better for me in New Japan when he's in there with juniors instead of heavyweights. I just think it makes it looks so much less ridiculous having other people sell for his like fucking featherweight offense when they're, when they're at least other tiny people, you know, but I think maybe that might be an issue I've had with his heavyweight run so far this year. It just looks kind of silly to me sometimes. Um, but as far as like any, I don't, I don't does he grunt less when he's in there with juniors or is that my imagination? Like, I feel like he really, I think I noticed the grunting less than you do. <laughs> So I don't know. I'm not even I sure he, I could say. <laughs> I think he grunts less when he's in there with juniors. But maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Um, all right. After that, the six-man tag, Kota Ibushi and Rapunky 3K against LIJ for the second straight night. Uh, this time it was LIJ getting the win with Naito pinning Yo with the Destino in 1347. This was awesome. Like, I don't know. They really... First of all, Fukuoka was so loud just for Naito and Ibushi fucking facing off in a six-man tag that you, like, if you just turned it on, you would probably, and had no idea what you're watching, you would probably think they're in an IC title match because, like, they were that loud at the start of that match when they faced off. Um, but, yeah, I thought this match was awesome. Uh, I went four stars flat on it. You know, I thought it was maybe my favorite undercard tag of uh, the entire tour, if not the entire year so far in New Japan. 
I mean, they just went nuts to an exchange. Like Naito and Ibushi had like some really cool exchanges early on. Uh, uh, Naito did that modified Gloria where he like dropped Ibushi right on his fucking neck. Um, and there were also like, there was Ibushi versus Takagi had a really cool sequence. I mean, the, the pop-up Death Valley Driver by Takagi was awesome. Uh, and then Naito and Yo just had a really, really, really hot closing stretch with, you know, just Yo going for the... Yo even tried to go for the new Dragon Suplex finisher, but Naito got out of it before that. So, yeah, I thought that was just just an awesome six-man tag. Yeah, I enjoyed it, too. I had a little bit of syndrome of... I was sort of eager to get to the two big singles matches. Um but I really liked it. I mean, obviously, Naito and Ibushi are great together. Um, and I think that they've done a really great job with uh, sort of creating layers of this Rapongi 3K and LIJ uh, story in terms of that. I think it's one of those, as I mentioned before, it can sort of sometimes be hard to invest in these undercard matches after the match they're sort of building to is done, but I think they've still done a good job. Obviously there's this running story of Shingo never being pinned and his stuff with show. Um, So I think it was good. Yeah. I want to mention too, by the way, um, because it's going to come up here in a second. So for a while, I thought Okada versus Jay White was going to be the Dominion main event. Were you feeling that same way too for a little bit? Well, yes, but only because I didn't really see any other. I mean, I was like, well, I guess Ishii could beat evil and challenge, but that doesn't really ever happen with stable members. Yeah. And that to me just doesn't feel like quite big enough for dominion, but I think it would have been awesome though. Um, But the other issue I, you know, the the other thing, reason why I thought they were going to do that is because, Jay White himself had started talking about being next in line for the title, which I'm like, okay, well, they're making it really obvious now. But it turns out that was a bit of misdirection. Now, I kind of knew it was a bit of mis- misdirection when I went to watch this show because New Japan once again spoiled themselves on New Japan World. Um, when I loaded up the show on uh, my Fire Stick when I, you know, th- today when I went to go watch it, the first three videos are visible. So they are the... Duntaku Night 2 with Japanese commentary, Duntaku Night 2 with English commentary, and then uploaded separately a message from Chris Jericho. So I'm like, oh, well, I wonder who the fuck he's here to challenge. I mean, what else would he be here to challenge, you know? So, but I mean, I was very happy because I think, you know, even even if Okada Jericho doesn't end up being like an amazing match, and I really have no idea what to expect from, from that match, I'm still way more interested in seeing that live at Dominion than, you know, Okada White from the second time since we were you you know you and i were both at msj so yes i feel the same um but yeah so that brings us to hiroshi tanahashi coming out uh tanahashi just got his elbow cast off yesterday wink wink um i don't know i mean maybe (laughs) maybe the elbow injuries is real who the fuck knows but like they do this every year with him so this was his fucking break before the G1. But yeah, he's announced he'd be back on June 5th at the Best of Super Junior Final. And then Jay White came out to confront him. So it turns out all that talk about Jay White as the next, wanting to challenge the title was just a reason for him to come out and yell at Tanahashi and be like, I'm next in line, not you. You're even behind Goto, which was a great line, actually. But yeah, so they, he tried to lay him out. 
The entire Hauntai locker room, I guess, were fucking assholes because none of them came out to make the save when he was going to, like, hit him with the fucking chair. All four young lions had to rush the ring to make the save, which I thought was funny. But they did give Tanahashi enough time to get away. Uh, but that set up... So that's apparently setting up a Jay White-Tanahashi match, which... Well, I guess that could be for the best of Super Junior Final. That would be a cool match to do, I guess, is like the number two or three match on that show because, like, below the final. I don't think you need that at Dominion. You already have Okada, um, Okada Jericho, and Naito Ibushi. Because we forgot to mention, Naito did announce he was going to take the IC title match at Dominion after he won the six-fan tag. So you could put that other match on the best of Super Junior Final, I think. So, I mean, that could work. Um, yeah, and I think they, they need something, don't they? Because ticket sales have not... I mean, they haven't flown out the door. I know it's early, but... Yeah. Uh, so far... I mean, that's why I thought they might do a Bushy Naito there, but yeah, so far tickets right now are... It was just the... I think it was just the the ringside sold out, and maybe the second floor special was almost sold out, but those two categories, you know, they usually sell out completely just in the fan club pre-sale, so... Yeah, that's exactly where they are right now. I just checked. So, yeah, I mean, I, th- there's no way of knowing how many that actually means because, you know, they could have, they may have sold a lot of Arena A and B and second floor reserves, just not enough to get it to a few left. But, you know, we'll see, I guess, if, that, if this helps at all. Um, but, yeah, so, like, that's uh, that's interesting that they're going to do that match. I assume Tanahashi's going to get his win back, but you never really know. Well, I do have to say, I do believe. Tanahashi that he just got his cast off because he was so busy doing that he did not have any time to put on any pants before he came out to the <laughs> ring as he came out in a white t-shirt suit jacket and his what looked like his underwear am I wrong <laughs> it looked like I his underwear that's pretty funny um but yeah so that was a cool little angle I that match could be good I mean, I, I didn't love their match at New Beginning. I only went four flat on it, but, you know, at least it's another big match for those two shows. I think it's a good idea, I guess. Presumably that means they're not going to do it in the G1, so why not, you know, let Tanagaze win back here? Do you have any thoughts on it? Yeah, I uh, I agree. I think – do you think they would add another – because it's going to be the Super Juniors final – and if they do that match, like what's the third? What's the third match from the top? Maybe junior tag titles. Yeah, maybe. Mm. Unless one of the unless Shoryu's in the final. Yeah, I mean, I guess they could do that. The only issue with that is that you've got no time to yeah. build yeah. it because if the people are still in, then you're going to be announcing it the day before or whatever it is. What if, you could do, Liger Suzuki. Yeah, they could do that, yeah. So, I mean, let's say, like, a top three of, yeah, the, the junior final, uh, which I think will be Shingo and Osprey. Um, the the junior, well, I mean, we won't know until, we'll know more when we know the blocks, but that's my pre-block uh, announcement prediction. Um, then the junior, then the Tanashi J. White, and then maybe Liger Suzuki. And then Dominion, that leaves your top three to be... Oh, well, wait, did the, six, six, five, and this guy's supposed to show up, right? 
Maybe they'll do Juice versus that guy. Oh, yeah. I, th- I didn't think about that. He, that is yeah. when the guy's supposed to show up. Now, I don't know that that it means could... that the title matches then. but That's true. That's true. Well, anyway, so those top three. And then Dominion, you have a top three of Okada, Jericho, Naito, Ibushi. And as we'll get to in a second, Taichi, Ishii. That's a pretty strong top three, too. I mean, I, I don't got a problem with that. Yeah. So... Um, and then, of course, you've got the tag titles to fill in somewhere. I think it's going to be Evil Sonata again. Do you so think that? Gonna... I mean, what else are they going to do? Maybe, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Where's Shane Hayes? Get him over here. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so that leads us to Evil Ishii. He's semi-main here. Um, I think I'm a little lower on this than some people. I went four and a quarter on it. I thought it was, you know, the start was really awesome. The Closing stretch is really awesome. I thought it really drags in the middle, and that really hurt it for me. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of people go four and a half and four and three quarters, which I do, I think the middle is just too boring for me to really go that high. But you know, four and a half. I have, I mean, four and a quarter. I still loved it quite a bit, just not quite at that level. What do you think? So I did have it at four and a half, but I can see I can see what you mean. Like my four and a half would probably be closer to four and a fourth and four and three quarters. Um, I liked it. I mean, I don't really have that much to say in that. I think the things I like about it are the things I like really about every Ishii match um, at this point, which sounds like a criticism where you say, Oh, it's, you know, it's the same match he always has, but I love all of his matches. Um, And when I say it's an Ishii match, I think the people who watch new Japan know it's sort of, you know what you're getting um with that style of match there was that headbutt where ishii headbutted evil not on the top of the head but it looked like in the face um which sort of um surprised me a little bit but yeah i went i went four and a half um but it to me i think i'm a higher i think i'm on the higher end of rating things probably and so this feels like one of those four and a half matches where six months from now I look back at my list and I go, Oh yeah, that, that was that match. But what, you know, and I don't remember that much about it. Um, so it could fall a little, but I liked it, but not much to say because it, you know, it's the match I expected and that was the match they had. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I mean, it, I, I don't really have any complaints besides the fact that I thought the middle was really boring, but um, you know, still really good match. Obviously the, the end the ending closing stretch really up for it. So still enough for me to go four and a quarter. That brings us to the main event. Oh, and by the way, when Ishii was talking backstage, Taichi made it official. He did challenge him to fight him for the never open white title, which I, I thought that was going to be the direction when, when these cards are booked, I thought maybe, you know, Ishii and Evil would be like a, a number one contender never title match, basically, since I didn't see what else the winner here would be challenging for, since I thought the I thought the heavyweight was going to Jay White, but ended up going a different direction. So that makes sense. And it's a rematch of a match that everybody would seem to love from the New Japan Cup. So I'm quite excited for that one. Uh, the main event, the IWGP heavyweight title, Okada defeating Sonata to retain the title. This match went 38 minutes and three seconds. Very long match. Um, so I liked it. 
but I did not like it anywhere near as much as their New Japan Cup match. There were a few complaints I had with it here. First of all, uh, Okada is not very good at leg selling. He's very inconsistent at it. So when that has to happen for a long part of the match, that's always going to hurt a little bit. Um, I I mostly liked the first 20 minutes, just not quite as much as I liked the early part of the match in the New Japan Cup match. I thought they were doing a lot more interesting mat work. Um, it was minutes 20 to 30 that really killed it for me as far as being like a really elite level match. Um, you know, I thought they had this really like around the 22 minute mark, they had like a, like a pinfall reversal sequence that just didn't look very good at all. Um, that would be like a, that really kind of took me out of it just when I thought it should be ramping up. And from like that 10 minute stretch, it just felt like they were sort of on different pages and it looked very awkward at times, especially compared to what I thought was a lot smoother in the new Japan cup final. Um, after the 30 minute mark, I thought it picked up a lot. Uh, and that's what kind of saved it from me from being like a bad match, you know, or being at least like a, a, an average match. Um, you know, the, the last like few minutes, especially like with Sonata going for those moonsaults and everything, the crowd was really going nuts and all that stuff looked good. So I thought they like pulled it out of the fire at the end. Uh, I ended up going three and three quarters on it, but you know, I just, obviously that's way below what I had the new Japan cup final match, which was four and three quarters. So just not even close to that match for me. What'd you think? I feel a little sense of deja vu talking about this match is the last time I was on, we talked about a Okada Sonata match that I liked less than you. Um, so I would go three and a fourth. Oh, wow. Um, my no, my first complaint is why was this match almost 40 minutes long? Um, I don't understand it. It was very long. It felt very long. And we touched on it earlier with Jericho. The one hope I have for Jericho, I don't know if that match will be any good at all. I have no idea. My one hope is Jericho cannot go 40 minutes. I know, <laughs> I know that for a fact. And so I hope they don't go 40 minutes because I would, you know, there is... Um, and people have mentioned this before, but why is it that seemingly all of these heavyweight title matches go this long? You know, can we get one that's 25 minutes? Which, by the way, is still very long. <laughs> Which, yes, is still very long, but not as long as this. <laughs> and so my hope is that in addition to maybe knocking Okada out of his sort of formula that he's now developed for these matches is that the length of it will also be shorter, which might help um, what I think is sort of these matches where I think they go into the doldrums pretty often where I just sort of lose. It's not even that I get to, you know, sometimes you watch a match and something happens on your phone and you look at your phone and then you get distracted and you're like, oh, I missed it. I was watching this match very closely and I felt weirdly like I was zoning. I, I couldn't really focus on it because I wasn't all that interested. Um, it's just, and I've talked about it on this show before. I am not, I really cannot get interested in Sonata. He just, to me, is a total blank slate, nothing. I don't know what, what is he? I, I don't even really know who he is when you think about it. I mean, he's a wrestler. He, you know, is an LIJ. But I, if you said, what is this guy? You have to describe 
his personality in three words. You can't use wrestler or anything he does. I mean, he's sort of quiet and intense and i i don't even know if i could think of a third word i just find him so and obviously he's over with people as is proved in this match with the crowd going crazy but he's just not for me so i think i was already behind the eight ball in terms of liking this match and i just thought it went too long and it felt very much like a um, okada you know going through the steps type of match so that's my thoughts. What did you give the New Japan Cup final? Do you remember? I gave it four and a fourth. Okay, so you, we were almost—we were exactly a half star different on both of them. That's kind of funny. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I like it sound a lot more than you do, but I just—I I mean, his character is supposed to be like a—I don't know—like a quiet millennial. <laughs> That's really the vibe I always got. Like he's just a a younger guy, you know, he's a different generation and. You know, he kind of marches to the beat of his own drum. But, you know, I get it if it's not really. I mean, quiet millennial, quiet goth is another way to put it. and Or quiet, like, quasi-goth, which really obviously connects with the Japanese crowds a lot. But, you know, maybe doesn't really connect with Americans as much, which I kind of get, I guess. But, yeah, I don't know. I love the guy, but I get why he's not everybody's cup of tea. Um this was not his best performance though. And I thought it was actually a pretty poor performance by Okada. And this was the second Okada title match. I wasn't really into in a row. Uh, Cause I didn't really like the, the Jay white match at MSG either. And, you know, at the time I really blamed that on Jay, but I'd like to see Okada maybe turn things around a little bit here. I know people are going to be like, Oh, people are hating on Okada again because he won the title back. And I don't really think that's the case. I think, you know, most people's opinions have hardened, have long ago hardened on them one way or the other. And I, I like Okada. I'm not like an Okada hater or anything, but you know, he's in my number two match of the year with, with Sonata from the Japan cup final. But like, I don't know. I'm just a little, I haven't really liked these last two matches. You know, it happens to every wrestler, I guess, but it's just more pronounced when you're the IWGP heavyweight champion. So we'll see. I mean, I still gave it three and three quarters. I guess I shouldn't say I didn't like it, but just not at like the the New Japan main event level of like four plus. So we'll see. The Jericho match is very interesting, and obviously after the main event, we, you know, we had the the lights going out and the Jericho video playing. I think it'll be really, you know, it's really kind of cool that they're we're going to get that. Like Jericho is going to do a main event against Omega and Okada within two weeks. So it's kind of going to be like a little comparison point. And I, you know, I do wonder, I'm sure both guys are going to be trying very hard to have the better match knowing, knowing what those two guys are both like, but I mean, that's exactly two weeks apart. I think, right. It's like May 25th, May 25th. And, and then yeah, I would have to like, look at a calendar. It's like 15 <laughs> days apart. So I think that the, it's two weekends. It is two weeks apart. It's just the, the AEW show I think is on a Saturday versus a Sunday for new for dominion. But all right, but that's Don't Talker Night Two. Um, overall, good show. I actually think I like Night One better, which I really wasn't expecting to going in. But you know, both shows are good. Don't really have any complaints either way. If you, you liked, if you liked uh, Tai Chi more, you might really like Night One. But yeah. too bad you don't. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's talk some Joshi. 
first of all, we, we can start the stardom the stardom Cinderella tournament because we can blow right through that. I think. Um, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Let's get it out of the way. That motherfucker with his fucking chance. Uh, they were very, very annoying. And this is the topic we alluded to er- much earlier that, like, you know, t- wrestling Twitter was in a tizzy about. Um, I don't know. Look, I, I think everybody kind of can guess where I'm going to come down on this. If you haven't seen my tweets, if you're in a foreign country, okay, and I've been to Japan twice, you and I are going back there in almost exactly a month now. If you're going to a foreign country, I mean, look, you should not be an annoying fucking asshole at wrestling shows at all, okay? Please don't do it anywhere, really. But if you're going to a foreign country, it should be, like, doubly important that you're trying to make an effort to blend in with the rest of what the rest of the crowd is doing. If you are going to Japan, you should be doing what the Japanese fans do, and you should be trying to do it in a way that's respectful and in a way that, you know, is not going to make you stand out in a negative way. You know... You are not just there as yourself, right? You're there to represent Western fans because they don't get a lot of them. I mean, they get more than ever now, but they don't get a ton of them. Like you're, you stand out these shows. So what you're doing there is going to have a negative reflection on all the other people who are going to Japan and want to be respectful and want to respectfully enjoy Japanese wrestling. The idea, you don't want to be an annoyance. And so the next time another fucking white person walks into Cork and Hall, Japanese wrestling fans are going to look and go, oh, the last one was really fucking annoying. I hope this one's not going to be as bad. So when you do something like that, that's what you're doing to the rest of us. You're making all of us look bad. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, look, the guy, I guess he didn't really say anything that bad. I guess it was mostly just, you know, let's go blank. And then like, he kept doing these fucking chants where he was doing the the beat of like you know that the elite the the elite chant. First he did it for B Pre- B Priestley, where he was like B Priestley B B Priestley, and then he did it for Konami, which somehow sounded even worse. Like Konami, Konami, but like you're doing it to utter silence. Everybody else is trying to take in the match, you know, especially at Joshi. He did it in New Japan, All Japan too, but at Joshi it stands out more. Josie crowds, you know, they do they do a little bit of chanting, but for the most part, they yell for their favorite, they yell when they're in trouble, and they watch a little more quietly than other Japanese than like male Japanese wrestling crowds. Is that fair? You watch even more Josie than I do. Wouldn't you agree with me on that? Yeah, I think that's fair. So when you're the only person chanting, it really stands out. It annoys the other fans, and you show no like fucking self-awareness. If you, I don't think you should start try to start a chant at all. If you go to Japan, I think you should like sit there. You can do the wrestler calls if you know when to do them. You're supposed to do them like, um, what do I mean by wrestler calls? In other words, when when they yell out the name, when they just yell the name once, those are the wrestler calls, and those are very popular at Joshi shows. They're also popular at male wrestling shows too. But like, so if you're watching a match and you want to cheer on Konami and she's getting her ass kicked, that's when you should yell Konami. excuse me just yell Konami's name once you know that's it that's all you have to do so and that's what a lot of the other fans do and you're showing your support for the wrestler as long as you're not doing it over and over and over again no one's gonna think you're annoying really so you can do that and you can also join in on chants when other people chant them but for sure you should not be starting chants definitely not when 
Nobody else is joining in every single time when it's just you and maybe one of your dipshit Western friends chanting. And it sounds like shit on the fucking broadcast. It annoyed everybody watching it back. And it sure as fuck annoyed the fans that were there too. Because, um, you know, this guy fucking actually had the balls to claim that all the Japanese fans were not annoyed. But you can clearly hear people yelling, shut up in Japanese on the fucking tape. Like that's the part that I thought that really like, uh, got me back. I'm like, this guy, he clearly does not know what shut up means in Japanese because they yell it like, like several times in the crowd during the stardom show, you know, at the show. I don't know. Do you know what shut up is in Japanese? Did you hear it? I mean, I only know it now because of that video <laughs> at, at Seedling that was translated. So he, um, the, the fans yell, Usai, which is like, shut the fuck up. And they yell it several times. Even at the stardom show, you can hear the fans yelling it. So you could tell the Seedling story because that one's even funnier. Oh, just after the main oh. event, the guy was chanting, this is awesome. In the middle of Takahashi trying to speak to uh, Arisa Nakajima, and she said, <laughs> shut up to him. And there was some commotion, and then some fan in the crowd went, yeah, sh- shut up. Yeah, it was like, Ursayo, like, yes. Like, she, like, he's basically, putting that yo on the end is, like, the strongest thing he could do. Like, he is basic, that is, like, that basically is telling you, shut the fuck up. Like, that is, like, adding emphasis to it and telling you, shut the fuck up. We are so sick of your shit. So, anyway. Like, for any, for that that guy is just clueless to actually go on Twitter. Because on top of everything else, on, on top of doing the chanting, he actually went on Twitter and argued with people and said, no, it's just the Gaijins on Twitter, which imagine saying that as a foreigner. It's just the Gaijins on Twitter saying that, you know, uh, I'm, you know, ter- I'm with shitty or whatever. The fans, the people in Japan and the wrestlers, the fans thought I was great. And it's like, you just have no clue. I don't know what to tell you. But yeah, it was really annoying watching the show back, wasn't it? Um, I agree with you. (laughs) I'm going to say a but, but it's not me disagreeing with you. I agree with you, but even let's pretend for a moment, a hypothetical, that this show took place anywhere else that's not Japan. And it looked the same and it sounded the same. And you're in the crowd and you're doing the chants. And no one joins in with you. First of all, no one joins in. So isn't there a moment when you say to yourself, oh, no one's joining in on these chants. Maybe I should not do like you're just like, well, I'm going to keep doing these chants. And the second thing was that really weirded me out was even at an American show. Let's pretend this is an American show. The chants were not even at the right time. Yeah. Like like there was. um I don't even, um, which match was it? It was, oh, uh, I think it was Hana's first match. And she was in the ring. And I think um, Andres Miyagi, Miyagi was yeah. outside. And it was one of those, you know, oh, we're, you know, 10, you know, 9, 10, 11. One of those things. And the guys, you know, Hana's standing in the ring sort of posing. And the guy's like, let's go, Hana. You know, doing this. I'm like, that's not the right time to do this. chant. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like you don't do it now. There was the match, um, B Priestley and uh, Suzuki in the first round. Like two minutes into the match, the guys, this is awesome. <laughs> I'm like, really, two minutes? Well, they do that all the time now in America. 
Like before but they not, even do anything. But not two minutes in. I mean, no, I see. I see them do it before they do anything. Oh well, yes, yeah. but that's like two guys when it's like you know. Oh, like legends. It's yeah. like you know Nick Gage and I don't know. I'm trying to think. Like I'm sure when Moxley starts wrestling again, you know, it'll be Moxley and Gage, and people will go this. But that's a different thing. The match hasn't started. Yeah. They're going. Oh, it's awesome to see these guys in the ring. But here it was like the match barely started like what what is awesome about the first two moves of this match so that was the thing that got to me more than it was just like it's totally wrong in general not even and then add on the fact that it's you know in japan that's a whole nother layer but the even the first thing is wrong so it isn't even to me it wasn't even like a or it became that once i saw this was it's not even you know, if he's saying, oh, the Japanese people liked it, which clearly they didn't, um, and I didn't understand the word shut up, but you can still see if you look in the crowd, I mean, people are look. you know, they're looking around, they're, I mean, at one point he chants and someone's head in the front row whips around <laughs> to look at him and it's like, oh gosh. Um, yeah. So it's just the whole thing on multiple layers is just totally off base. It's totally wrong. And although I do think at this point, you know, it was sort of the first wave of the people who were there were talking about it. And then the video started coming out. So there's been sort of reason to speak about it. But I think at this point, the guy clearly is, um, I think partially, at least partially in it for attention. Yeah. Um, so I think at this point we've talked about it. The shows have come out. People have seen them. You know, it's bad. And now, you know, we just got to let this guy, you know, he had his 15 minutes of fame and now we got to kill it or else he'll never go away. I mean, he's threatening um, to come back for the Tokyo Dome with a bigger group, which would be quite awful. But um, someone pointed out basically there is already other annoying fans that week. I mean, it's pretty much the only time this ever happens. Right. It's the Tokyo Dome week. So he really wouldn't even stand out as badly as he did here. It just stood out because it was, you know, it's Golden Week in Japan. There's a lot of shows. And, you know, presumably that's why he went. But, like, there's not a lot of foreigners that go during that time. So, you know, it just, it really stood out. I mean, I, I was just, it was one of those things where I was just mortified, like, on his behalf, even if he lacks the shame, and thinking, like, well, this is great. It's a month before I'm going again, and I hope these people these people in Japan don't like see another fucking foreigner and be like, oh, God, here we go again. Yeah, so. my f- my friend who I'm going with heard about it because um, obviously it's sort of been the talk of mo- sort of multiple circles of wrestling, um, of the wrestling world. Um, and he mentioned to me, he said, you know, if that happens when we're at a show, I would just – it's sort of like, um, even though you're not involved, it's someone else. You are also embarrassed. If you're at the show, you're also embarrassed because you're sort of in the group together, even though you obviously don't know this person. Um, and he just said, oh, I would be just so incredibly embarrassed if that happened. And, you know, the tough thing is there's really, I mean, the guy obviously is obstinate and is not going to change his mind. So it isn't even as easy as going up to the guy at the show at intermission or something and saying, Hey man, you know, no one's joining in just, you know, be cool because I'm sure he would say, Oh, what do you mean? This guy really loves this guy really loves my champ. Can't you tell he's sitting here very quietly. 
Um, <laughs> so it isn't even that. I mean, people have said, well, the promotion should kick them out, but I understand that's a hard thing. You know, in, at a lot of these shows, I'll, at a lot of these shows, some sometimes no one speaks English. You know, you yeah. go to these shows and, you know, they're very friendly and they try and help, but it's not as easy as just having someone go up and say, excuse me, sir, you know, you have to leave. And of course the guy's going to argue back and say, Oh no. And then you're talking about, you know, obviously causing a scene, which is not um, looked not, well upon. So it's a whole no. thing where people have said, you know, it's up to the promotions to kick them out, but I don't really, you know, put it on them or expect them to, you know, go in and, and be the law in this situation. So unfortunately it's sort of an, it's an unfixable situation, unfortunately. And the We Are Stardom account, uh, I think the dude's name is Sonny, I think, right? Yeah, Sonny. He, yeah. he made he made a statement about it, which I thought was really uh, a good statement. Good say, you know, it's like a, almost like a you're basically being subtweeted by a promotion. I think is really funny. But yeah, the statement was very generic. But it was like, you know, we appreciate everybody who goes through our shows, but you need to remember everybody, including me, is a guest in this country, and you need to behave, blah blah blah. And and he got very angry at that statement. And then both the We Are Stardom account and apparently the Japanese Stardom account blocked him, which I thought was funny. But anyway, um, yeah, that's that. I just wanted to mention it since we're going to talk about the show, and just say he was indeed very annoying on the entire show. So. Can't really do nothing about that. Uh, but the Cinderella show, we can just go through really quickly because we're already kind of like running low on time. The big <laughs> highlight of the first the big highlight of the first round of me was Rebel Kel and and Azumi. Like that might have been like the best Rebel Kel match in history. Because she's usually like really quite bad, but like I don't know, Azumi Azumi bumped her ass off like a little maniac and really made that like a fun match. I mean, it's obvious. It's obvious why Rebel Kel is there, and I don't just mean from a you know horny perspective. But I mean, she's very tall. She has sort of an interesting look that's like someone that might cause trouble at a southern um, highway rest stop or something like that. Um, so I can see why she's there. It is true that she is getting better. I agree with you. I thought that she was also. Um, a lot better. You know, there were minor sort of nitpicks that in the comments to open the video, she talked about the fact she isn't winning a lot. She's very frustrated. Um, and then she came out and her first pin was very lackadaisical. And I was thinking, well, if you're very frustrated with not winning, I would think that you would want to really try and pin this person. I know she's much smaller than you are, but, you know, little things like that. But I'm more happy to nitpick those sort of things than the things that are um, like, oh, the structure of this match is totally a mess and it's not going well. Yeah. Um, but that's, uh, I thought it was good. You know, it's only a five minute match, so, so whatever. Um, anything else stand out in the first round for you? I Konami and Momotanabe is really fun for a five minute match, too. Yeah, I thought the last three matches of the first round, as probably would be logical were the best three matches of the, of the round. Um, it's sort of hard to talk about some of these matches because they're going, as you mentioned, a very short amount of time because some people are going over the top rope. I mean, we can talk about one thing. The end of B Priestley and, and Hazuki was botched. Yeah, I think so. 
but I didn't even really understand. They went flipping over the rope. B Priestley hit the floor first, but I didn't even really understand what is the corrected, non botched version of that finish. Yeah, I don't know. Because it seemed very perilous to begin with, unless the goal was for B Priestley to end up sitting on the apron and somehow powerbomb Hazuki or something like that. But that was sort of very confusing. But that's the only other match that really sticks out to me in the first round. Uh, but yeah, so the first round, pretty decent. The second round ended up being only three matches since Kagetsu and Tom Nakano went to a time limit draw. Uh, Starlight Kid beat Hazuki really quickly. Kanai beat Azumi, and this is apparently where Azumi got injured, and she's going to miss a lot of time, it sounds like, which is kind of sucks because she had been getting looking really, really good lately. And, you know, obviously, but she's still very young. She, I think, has not even turned 17 yet. No, I think so, she's still 16, yeah. Yeah, so she's got plenty of time. And I think someone pointed out, maybe it was even you in the Slack, but somebody definitely pointed it out. That like this is the same injury that Momo Watanabe had when she when she missed most of I guess 2017. So you know, and she obviously came back from it very strong, and you know, turned into you know the best, probably the best women's wrestler in the world last year. So there's no reason why Izumi can't come back from this and still be really good, since you know, still got a lot of career ahead of her probably. Yes, it was me with that very astute observation. I'm glad I stole it then for my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, so that's the quarterfinals. And also, Natsuko Tora defeated uh, Hanakamura in the other quarterfinal match. Uh, semifinals, Arisa Hoshiki defeated Natsuko Tora. Uh, Konami beat Starlight Kid. And then Hoshiki beat Konami in the finals, which I liked a lot for a 10-minute match. I thought it was very good. Yeah, it was a fun. I mean, as I said, some of these, you know, it sounds like we're really, you know, flying through them, but some of these matches are so short. I mean, even that match was very good. Um, but again, it's 10 minutes, so there isn't really much to say beyond, you know, oh, I like the, you know, I like the match. I also thought it was very good. Um, I liked like three and three quarters, I think. I yeah. Think. I mean, I like having Arisa. I think that stardom now has a pretty good. Um, roster where they're able to maybe take, um, you know, do this tournament and pick someone who maybe you wouldn't expect and see what happens with them as opposed to really trying to put some gas behind someone who needs an extra boost. Um, so I like the winner. Um, I'm not sure what percentage of people before the tournament would have picked um, her to win. Probably zero. Um, yeah. Or or very low, um, but I liked it. I thought it was a strong tournament and a strong end. I like her, and I, I actually think I even like Saki Kashima very subtly better. So maybe of the two, I think I like her a little bit better. But that's it. Like Stardom always seems to find a way where every time they lose people, they just like re- they're like New Japan in that regard a lot. Where they like they always seem to find a way to rebuild their bench, whether it's like they take people from other companies or. Um, people come out of retirement suddenly when other people retire or go to WWE. I mean, I, I was Arisa the one that retired or was it Saki? It was. Both. I, I was both uh, of them. Um, I, think. I think I know. I think I, it was Arisa. Yeah, because yeah. she was in 2012 and then came back last year. Didn't, I thought Saki Kashima did that too, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, let me see. 
or she or she came from somewhere else. I don't know. Yeah, it was her as well, but hers was slightly shorter because she had wrestled in 2013 and came back last year. Yeah, so I mean, like they they seem to pull that kind of thing a lot. I mean, uh, they did the same thing with Yoko Bido. So, you know, people come back. I mean, Yoko Bido retired again, but you know, people seem to like retire and come back, which always seems to help their death. And they always have like a million children, you know, on the way up. Uh, which, you know, is how you end up with someone like Momo Watanabe who becomes, like, the best woman wrestler in the world when she's 18 years old because she's been doing this for fucking four years already. So, you know. Um, but, yeah, I think there's definitely nothing to worry about with Stardom when it comes to the roster right now. So, let's do Sendai Girls next, actually, because I want to talk about one match in particular. Um, so, Sendai Girls had the April 16th Corican. Uh, I did not watch the first two matches. Did you watch them? Uh, I did. I'm looking them up now because I don't even. Um... I mean, one was like a one was Kayaru and Mikoto Shindo. Oh yes, against, yeah. Um, and I really like Shindo. Um, I think Shindo's really good. Oh, and the other one was Iger and Hirota and um, Al- Alex Lee and Boishoi kid, which it's a Hirota match, so that's yeah, fine skipping that, but. Yeah, I like uh, I like the opener. It was you know a fun opener. I think it's for people I really like, so I liked it. But don't really have much beyond that to say. So uh, the match three is where I picked it up. Millie McKenzie defeating Manami in five fifty to retain the Sendai Girls Junior Title. Uh, Manami, of course, is only fourteen years old, and another one of these very young uh, Joshi rookies. But this was this was like about as good of a six minute match as you could have. I really like this. I mean, it was just the very like stiff five minute, you know, six minute match. So pretty. Yeah. Like, I would probably, I'd probably go like three and a half on it. Yeah. I've really liked Mackenzie in Sendai girls. I'm glad they brought her over. Um, Cause she's been, she's had uh, quite a few good matches and I agree with you, you know, it's a short match, but you know, it is sort of the younger, talent going through it so it makes sense and um was a fun match and i think um manami is going to be very good obviously she has a lot of years to uh reach her potential because she's so young but i think she's already um off to a good start what do you think about the joe she's starting people young thing because i've heard both arguments on this but like i mean as long as they aren't doing like a really crazy schedule which they they aren't really as far as i can tell uh it's like usually only a few times a month I don't think it's that big a deal to start them young. I mean, you people play all sorts of sports before they turn 18, right? I mean, that's usually how people get good at sports to, to join professional leagues. I don't really think there's a big issue with starting people under 18. Um, I mean, there's all, there's all sorts of dudes who've done it in, in the Western world, but it's a little less – I feel like it is a little less common. But I actually don't – in Mexico, don't they start people very young there too? Yeah, they start people at like 10. Okay, so I don't, I don't know. Maybe people just have a problem with it because there's like a little bit of a creepy element to Joshi in general. But I don't have a problem with starting people young. I think especially if, if when Joshi careers can end up being very short, sometimes I think it's better to just have them, you know, ready. And by the time they turn eighteen and are really doing like a full time schedule, like that's how you end up with like eighteen year olds who are like as good as Momo Watanabe, you know, has been in the past year. So. I mean, I think as long as they're safe, you sort of alluded to it, as long as they're safe and they're not um, 
you know, overworking them or putting them in some, and I mean, safe from both a physical in-ring perspective and an out-of-ring thing in terms of the whole, you know, the whole thing in terms of going to, you know, I don't know, going to school and things like that, the fans, you know, things like that. But I think that they do take care of them pretty well, or else they probably wouldn't do it as much as they do. But I was, I actually was going to mention the middle school and high school sports as well. I think it's really not much different. It maybe is a little bit more physically demanding, but they're not working. They're not working five times a week. Yeah. They're working like five um, times a month. From what I can right. Tell. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I don't have a problem with it. Um, I yeah. could see someone from the outside who could maybe look at it and go, Oh, that's a bit, strange but i think it's also a culture thing where in the united states we've really put a lot of um you know we put a lot of emphasis on children being safe um and you know wrestling can be a little bit dangerous but something like this i mean as you said a six minute match i don't think anyone's being put in too much danger with that so i'm fine with it and the stardom ones like they always have them these like three-way tags where they're going like 10 minutes total but i mean until like i mean azumi is actually doing way more than i feel like most of the under 18s end up doing but maybe they just think she's really talented which she she kind of is so i get it uh okay the next match was you and mika iwata i was a little bit surprised by the result of this one i thought like when i when i first brought in you that they were going to have her get wins and like get ready to face Chihiro because that match just made a lot of sense to me. Um, but instead, they had you lose here to Mika Iwata in, in about eight and a half minutes. Uh, this was good. It just wasn't up to the level I thought of the um, the other like you know matches I've seen on the other matches I've seen on this show and like the match the matches I know that these two have had before. I don't know. She's never clicked on that level with me. It was like a three-star match. Yeah, I wasn't. I also was probably around the same range. The result surprised me less, just because I think Awada is the. Um. She's got a, or at least I hope that this is what they're doing. That they're going to move her up the card, and she may, you know, at this point become a one B to Chihiro, or even defeat her, because I think that she's the. I think they need to continue to build, especially they lost uh, Miyagi um, just a few months ago to stardom, that they need some more people at the top of these cards. You know, Sheeta, who wrestled on this show, is going to uh, the States in a few uh, months. So, and Iwata sort of is the, uh, or at least I think this, the future, a future big star. Um so it wasn't super surprising to me. I mean, I do think a you and uh, Hashimoto match would be a lot of fun. Um, but I was the same with you where I was really looking forward to this match. I thought it could have been really good. Um, but I think it was hindered a little bit by the spot on the card um, being sort of right in the middle where I think with a little bit more time, it probably would have picked up a little bit. But uh, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. So it was a, you know, decent little match. But after that, though, Sari and Mako Satomura, 15 and a half minutes. 
Taylor, you can go first because I know you you really were banging the drum on this match even before I even wa- watched it finally today. Yeah, so uh, Sari and Mako Satamora. Um, I love this match. I had seen it getting because um, this show and uh, Sendai posted a show on their YouTube channel that's only, I think, about an hour long that has a match of uh, Sari and Dash uh, Chizako, which and those two matches, I think, came out very close to each other or even maybe on the same day. And both were getting a lot of hype. So I sort of, because they were both getting hype, I didn't get overhyped for this match, uh, which I think maybe would have happened if this match would have come out by itself. I love the match. I gave it five stars. I mean, Seri is one of my favorite uh, wrestlers, period. I think she's hugely underrated only in the fact that she is in Pro Wrestling Diana which is not a widely seen promotion, even amongst people who are sort of in heavily in the Joshi scene because they upload about three matches a year on a YouTube channel that isn't really promoted anywhere. Um, I think she's so great. I saw her last time I was in Japan in Seedling. Um, and she is of all the many, probably at this point, hundreds of wrestlers I've seen live in my life, she has the hardest sounding strikes I've ever heard. Uh, Just big thuds that sound unbelievable live. And that sort of came across in this match of two people who just sort of wanted to beat the shit out of each other, which is totally the type of match I love very much in the style of a sort of uh, Ishii Shibata or sort that was of the first thing I thought of too. Um, that sort of type of match where it's just, we're going to wail on each other for as much time as we have. And the, the person who can't deal with it is going to lose. Um, I loved it. I mean, it was every, you know, forearm exchanges and just crazy drop kicks and dropping people on their heads. So I, Absolutely loved it. I'm very happy. As I said, Sari is one of my favorites. I'm really happy that this match has sort of broken through to the larger wrestling world because I think that she definitely deserves more of a spotlight on her. Um, And hopefully this does lead to that. And obviously Mako is Mako, who's incredible and, you know, is one of the all-timers. So not surprised that she could do this. Um but I loved it just totally a match and it did go 1530, which is almost surprising to me because not in a negative way, it felt even longer. It felt so epic to me that the match almost felt longer, even though it wasn't not in a way that I'm saying, Oh, this is dragging. um, And it feels so long, but just, it felt, you know, every strike, every kick, you know, every move was so great to me that I just totally loved it. Um, it's either my number one match of the year, and if not number one, then it would be at very minimum uh, number well, you two. Have, you have another five-star matches here? I have – I think I have two other ones. I have oh. Pac and KZ from Dragon Gate and um, Omega Tanahashi from uh, Wrestle Kingdom. And I went four and a half and four and a quarter on those two. But – so here's what I'm going to say. Unlike Taylor, I I don't think I've ever seen – I may have seen Sari. You said she works seedling sometimes, right? 
I may well she her. used to be so she used to be in seedling okay and the deal was that William Regal came over for the first I think it was the first May Young classic to and saw her and the big talk was that they were gonna ask her to be in the tournament they asked her and she went to the company um, that oversees seedling. I don't know the exact power structure there. And she said, oh, I want to go and do this. And they said, no. And she said, well, I'm very unhappy in seedling because I think her personality is very different than some of the people, um, some of the other regulars in that company. Uh, I'll leave it at that. Um, and that I think they said something to her that was like, well, either you can stay here and, you know, stay in seedling or you can go to Diana and wrestle there. And she chose Diana and Diana, as I mentioned, gets almost no coverage of any sort. They have a YouTube channel that uploads matches that often feature Suri because she's sort of the big star of the promotion. But obviously I'm not expecting many people to be subscribed to a YouTube channel of a minor Joshi promotion in Japan. So very you know she's underseen although she does appear from time to time in sendai girls and you know a couple of of these other um joshi yeah. promotions so all i was saying is i don't know if i've seen her before i may have seen her once or twice but not that often not not an all-time favorite of mine like she is for you this is five this is still a five-star match i still went uh i gave this five stars my match of the year uh there's nothing else i give him five stars to yet this year i mean this is pretty much just you know, I was feeling five for it, like pretty much the moment it ended because there just is not, I have no complaints about it at all. Like there's no, like to me, five stars is a perfect match, a match that did everything it's out to do. Not one thing was wrong with it. They didn't fuck up anything at all. There was nothing that even looked really remotely awkward and, you know, had like a story to it that made sense. All of that was true here. Like they just fucking went out there, killed each other 15 minutes straight. All the mat wrestling early on looked great. The kicks look so fucking brutal. There's like one exchange where Mako um, or Sarri does like a spin kick right in Mako's face. And Mako is like, well, fuck you. I'm going to kick you right in the face too then. And like, I don't know. Like that was just one of the most brutal exchanges of the entire year. Um, like you said, the backdrops were just like ridiculous. First Mako with the backdrop suplexes and then Sarri, like what kind of suplex was he doing? I don't even remember. It was, it was like a kind of a funky one. Oh like uh, yeah, I yeah I don't remember, and I'm also bad at the name of the wrestling. <laughs> I don't think it, I don't think it was a backdrop. I think it might have been like a either like a modified exploder, or even like a sambo suplex or something. But yeah, it was really good. So her whatever suplex she was doing was also really good, and they're just dropping each other on their heads, killing each other. And I thought there was like a good internal story too, where Mako, you know, Mako's the obviously the veteran, and she's just beating the shit out of this woman. And every time Sari would like get a little bit of hope spot, Mako would just like shut her down again and just keep dropping her on her head. You know what match it really reminded me of actually in a weird way? Um, it reminded me of Samoa Joe and Austin Aries from like the, when Aries beat him for the title, where they had that similar kind of like, you know, the feel to it where it felt like the person, um, I mean, I could, I could pick a, a lot of matches like this, but like the, the person is so far above the other one at first and just destroys them for like the good first portion of the match but then the other person just like pulls out like this big sequence at the end 
and just like you know just doesn't give up doesn't give up doesn't give up and then makes this huge comeback at the end and just puts her down basically so it's the same same similar kind of thing as that but you know i'm sure there's a million other examples of that type of match it's a pretty basic match match structure but that's just the one that immediately popped into my head um but yeah i mean like that's a it's a five-star match uh, my current match of the year, the only thing I've gone five on yet so far. Um, you really, really need to see this match if you have not seen it. Um, it's on YouTube. If you search for the two of them, it shows up. I already I linked it on my Twitter, so you can go to at uh, Tushinshu in LA. If you don't know how to spell that, you can also just go to at Russell Omikaze and then click on my name. It's right there in the profile. Um, but yeah, so like awesome match definitely watch it i don't know what else to say it's like even if you don't normally watch joshi even if you don't like a lot of joshi i think you'll like this i mean if you like you know shibata and and uh ishii just two people killing each other then you'll like this too so definitely watch it uh and semi-main oh sorry go ahead not to just this just a sort of quick side point there is a uh Sari had a match with aja kong earlier this year in diana which um, has not appeared anywhere except in brief um, sort of highlight form and pictures where Aja Kong bloodied um, Seri very bad, like very, very badly. Um, but that sort of has become the holy grail of 2019 wrestling for many people. So I have a feeling if that match ever made the light of day, either somewhere online or in a DVD form, I mean that match could be up here with that match could be up there with this match. Um so if you do watch this match and um you do like it, keep your eyes peeled to see if that other match ever sees the light of day, which who knows maybe it never does. Um because I, I think that it. match could probably be you know 1A and 1B in terms of two great matches. This is like the last stand of like the the wrestling nerd where it's like, "Well, this match actually made tape will we actually see it like this used to be everything like 10 15 years ago you know and right. now it's like very very few show promotions are like this anymore so now i want to see diana is there going to be a fucking diana show when we're going no i wish last <laughs> time when we were in um what's the bar in osat the wrestling bar uh um, oh it's uh oh god i should uh, it was know three this. one two three two one one two three yeah something like um, that they had, I remember going in the bathroom and they had a Diana poster in the bathroom. And I remember thinking, oh God, like this will be the closest I ever get to a Diana show. <laughs> standing in this bathroom looking at this poster. Uh, I mean, we can see some some cool Joshim were there. I mean, the Oz Academy's running. Uh, Gato Movers running. Does she ever show up any of those promotions or no? Um, I'm trying to think if she's been in Oz... Um, I know she hasn't been in Gato. I don't know about Oz. I don't think so. Um, yeah. It's usually a Sendai, and I think maybe once or maybe a few times in Wave, I think. Okay. If I'm remembering well, correctly. Well, I hope she makes a surprise appearance in uh, one of those other companies. Uh, okay. So that leads us to the semi-main event, which was Ikaro Shida and Killer Kelly against Hiroyu Matsumoto and Dash Chizako. I thought this was awesome, too. A, a great tag match. It took a little bit to get going, but by the time it was going, it was really good. I, I went four flat on this. It was very good. What did you think about it? Yeah, I was around the same area. I, again, four great, I really, four great people. I really like Killer Kelly. Um, 
she's maybe a level below the other three, but I think that she's got um, a lot of potential. Uh, she was in the Mae Young Classic and had a really good match with Mako. Uh, that's sort of that was sort of the first match of the second Mae Young Classic that got people's attention. Um, and it's funny to think I'm looking at her profile on Cage Match. She's 27, and we're talking about all these people who are 18. So she seems like she's, you know, an old woman, but you know, still very young and probably has a few years. And I'm sure she's improving and looked very good in the match. So I felt the same way. A good match, a little bit hindered by, through no fault of their own, the fact that I was still partially freaking out about the match before. Yeah. Um, so I was a little bit unfocused, but I also really did like the match um, and thought it was a lot of fun and really good. Uh, then the main event, which was Chihiro Hashimoto and Jordan Grace. Um, I heard I saw a lot of people saying they thought this was disappointing, but um, I thought this was a really fun power battle. I really was into them, like just these two big big ladies just like lifting each other up and power bombing each other repeatedly and slamming each other all over the place. It was, you know, pretty much what I expected going in. Um, you know, I went four flat on this again. I thought it was a pretty awesome match. Yeah, I liked it. I wasn't blown away. I was lower than you, probably in the three and a half range or so. Um, you know, Hashimoto's had some great matches, so she's got for for me at least a very high standard to live up to, which I think sometimes, um, sometimes actually works against her. Uh, because I have such high expectations, but I thought it was good, you know, fun to see a little bit of, um, you know, a different type of matchup as sometimes um, with these shows, with these Joshi promotions that sort of pass talent amongst each other, you can sort of start to see the same people on all the shows. So I think it was fun to get someone like Jordan Grace on the show. And, you know, they also had you and Killer Kelly. Um, so all these people, it makes for a little... Um, little bit of fun and to see different uh, people interact. So I thought it was good, not as high as you, but certainly didn't think uh, it was anything bad. Uh, so, yeah, I, I agree. It was a, or I mean, you know, I had it higher than you did, but I thought it was good. Um, you know, so overall though, awesome show. I mean, probably one of the best of the entire year. I mean, I will say that uh, I, and I think some others, from time to time have some booking issues with Sendai, but I think that they have had a very strong year. So if you do watch the show and you like it, um, I would say go back. There's a few other shows that have made tape that also have a lot of strong matches on them. Um, and that even with some of the booking question marks that happen, I think that they're still able to deliver a lot of really great matches. So if, again, if you watch the show and you like it, I would highly recommend going back because um, this is sort of uh, sort of par for the course. Obviously, not a five star match on every show, um, but they often deliver um, good matches on on almost every show. I would say. Yeah, I mean, I think they're the most. They're like the work rate Joshi company to me. Like they almost always deliver something really, really good. It's just like you say, the booking can be kind of all over the sometimes but you know very almost always at least one really good match so uh, let's wrap this up with tokyo joshi pro the yes wonderland 2019 opportunity is there uh cork and hall drew a 1110 fan uh house which they put down super no vacancy which it might be with their setup actually 
Um, well, the, and was and was one single fan more than actress girls oh, who drew one thousand one hundred and nine fans. You think it's a work? Um, I don't. Uh, I don't know how much of it is a work, but someone had joked when they announced because they ran earlier in the week at Corkin and they announced eleven oh nine, and someone said, "Oh, uh, Tokyo Joshi's going to announce eleven ten and then they did. Yeah. And so I think there's a little bit of a uh, little bit of bad blood there between the two promotions. Um, yeah, but just in, interesting to <laughs> interesting numbers to see. They did take Natsumi Maki, so I guess I get it. But, uh, okay, so the opener, Yuna Manase, Mina Shirakawa, and Himawari Unagi defeating Haruna Neko, uh, Palm Harajuku, and Mahiro Kiryu. When Manase pinned Harajuku with the Suzuki Dynamic in 930. Um, this is a fun little opener. I, I, I think uh, Mahiro is like, I mentioned this last time we talked Tokyo Joshi, I think. But she's like, I think she's my favorite rookie, but she has like that spunkiness to her. Like, you know, she's kind of like the, um, almost similar to like a, like a, a young Mayu Iwatani where it's like very, um, they're leaning into like the, the short hair and like the, like the Tom girl thing, which, or tomboy thing, I guess I should say the tomboy thing where like, you know, especially in this company where so many of the, it's like very idolish in a lot of ways. It really helps her stand out. I think she just looks better in the ring than a lot of the people too. So, um, but yeah, what do you what do you think of the opener? I thought it was good. I don't really have much to say. I thought it was a, you know, perfectly serviceable op- opener, and yeah. Uh, the match number two was the debut of Mirai Mayumi. Uh, she teamed with Yumi to lose to Nodoka Tenma. And Yuki Aino, uh, Tema pinned Mayumi with the kill switch in 958. The big news, I guess, was the original Tiger Mask, Satoru Sayama, who apparently it was him running a real Japan pro wrestling show in her hometown, like, I guess, after like a disaster, a natural disaster or something that really like made her want to be a pro wrestler. So that's probably the biggest impact real Japan has ever had in, in the world of pro wrestling. But, uh, I mean, this is this was this was a good little debut. Um, I mean, my favorite spot of the match is probably when Yumi was in there with Nodoka. Did you do you remember this spot? Was she like because Yumi, for people who don't know, is very very tall. You know, even though she's young, she's also like five nine. Um, and Nodoka is like what like four ten, I think, if that. So she like stuck her hand out and just kind of like put it on her, put her put her arm out, and like put her hand on her head, and just was like, "What are you going to do about it?" That thought was really funny. Yeah, it wasn't and, even like a pat. It was just a placement of the hand on the head. Yeah. it's So she was basically just like, you can't do nothing. What are you going to do? I think it shows that even though right now they're going with like the young the young girl kind of thing, her future in the company is probably going to be as a heel, you would think. But I think that might have been a little tease of it. But yeah, this is pretty decent. I mean, I feel like all in Japan, I feel like all rookie debuts are are fairly good. I mean, can you remember a rookie debut when they debuted and you went, Oh boy, this person could be bad, could be bad. I can't even think of one. No, it doesn't really happen. It doesn't really happen. I mean, the only thing I can think of is marvelous. Um, they're rookies. They do shows where they have the rookies come out and do drills. 
Uh, and sometimes, I mean, the drills look totally exhausting to me. And sometimes the rookies do get tired and, you know, they can't continue. But that's not a wrestling match and it's not really their debut. So, I mean, to me, it was very in line with many other people who have debuted in this company and other companies that it was good. But, you know, you'll see really what they're about, you know, further down the line. Yeah. Uh, after that, match number three, Thunder Rosa defeating Yuki Kamifuku with the Rainella Splash in 644. Um, this is pretty fun, actually. I don't, y- Yuki's not like the greatest in ring wrestler, but I thought this was actually, you know, a decent little match. Yeah, I thought it was fun too. I think, uh, I feel the same way about Thunder Rosa. I like Thunder Rosa, she's got a sort of fun personality, but I would never put her near the top of any sort of in ring worker list in terms of American uh, women's indie promotions. Uh, But I think it was a fun match. You know, Thunder Rosa has a fun personality. And like I mentioned before, it's fun to see, you know, I know Thunder Rosa, John, I don't think that you've probably, I don't know, have you ever seen her? Uh, So it's fun to see, right. Fun to see someone I know getting in, you know, get in the ring and perform. So, yeah. And I, this is like the sexy match, you know, they were both doing like all the sexy pose and stuff, which I thought helped like as far as the comedy. But yeah. And a lot enjoyed. of, a lot of swearing going on. A lot of uh, <laughs> people calling saying, Oh, I'm the sexiest bitch. Not you bitch. And I was like, Oh, I was <laughs> any, like, all right. any Japanese person. I feel like the only English they, they ever know is like curse words, but Yuki actually knows a lot of English, but I feel like yeah, she speaks English pretty, but they teach I feel like that's the tweets. I think that's the first thing they teach everybody is like the curse or the first thing everybody learns and remembers is like the English curse words. So, cause you're going to hear plenty of them yelling at, I mean, Konami lately has just been fuck you. Momo, watch it now. Nonstop. Uh, match four, Reika Saiki and Marika Kobashi defeating Riho and Raku when Saiki pinned Raku with the jackhammer in 10 2. Um, first of all, I'm really not ready for Marika Kobashi to leave us. Uh, she's one of my favorites in Tokyo Joshi. Really always enjoyed the the JK wrestler. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I get it because she apparently wants to really concentrate on her university and her studying to get into university. So obviously you need, you need to take a break when that happens. But hopefully she comes back. Hopefully there's just a break. Um, it's always good to see Riho, on the other hand, who, you know, she shows, she seems to show up at all these Corrigans, but she's very good whenever she show, does show up and, you know, I'm excited to see her live when we go to Gato Move, too. So that'll be fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, uh, the the big note I have from this was, like, Raku did, like, a, a, at one point did, like, this headlock, which, like, really just, like, grinded it in and, like, threw the other person on the mat. It looked like that, uh, it was, like, the best headlock I've seen other than, like, Jinder Mahal's headlock that on um, Ricochet that, like, really got around Twitter, like, a Twitter gif. So... Good job, Raku. Good headlock. But um, wow, that was quite a sentence you just said. <laughs> I don't even know what Jinder Mahal headlock on Ricochet. Yeah. So what? Jinder Mahal did like a really big, a really nice looking headlock on Ricochet in some random match, and some some guy like complained about it and was like, "Oh, this is what this is what WWE is is a." Guy Ricochet could do all these great moves, and instead he gets headlocked. I'm like, look. You can hate on Jinder Mahal for a lot, but like that was a cool looking headlock. It was a good headlock. I don't think you gotta, don't have to complain about a good headlock. 
Like, come on, there's always room for wrestling and for <laughs> for a good headlock. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Raku, Raku, and Gender. Those are my my top two headlocks of the year. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like, I thought this was good. It was like a three and a half star match. Uh, Psyche almost did like a sheer drop jackhammer at one point. I think at the end, actually, she almost like dropped it right in her head. But yeah, I think that was a finish. Yeah, that was really good though. So good match. Yeah, yeah, I feel the same. Best match of the show up to this point. Um, I yeah, I really liked it too. Uh, what do you think of Aja Kong and Maki Ido? Because I've seen some different opinions on this. This went ten forty seven, and Aja won with the vertical drop brainbuster. Uh, I thought it was fine. I always prefer Aja Kong matches to have a little bit more back and forth. I know that she's obviously a huge monster, and that's the whole deal. But this felt very much like, oh, we're just waiting. We're just counting down the moments until it ends. Um, you know, I'm interested. I, I, obviously, we've established that Ito is more sort of guts than brains at this point in terms of the people she chooses to go after. Uh, I'm interested to see where that idea goes, because I think there will reach a point when sort of the person who tries hard and loses will maybe run out of steam. Um, yeah, but I feel I, like it, it did run out of steam with some people, I think, on this show. But. Um, I mean, I mean, this truly was an extended squash, so I don't know how really excited I can get about that. Um, uh, I, I certainly didn't hate it or dislike it or anything, but I thought it was fine. I mean, when I think of Aja Kong, I think, oh, a single match with Aja Kong, I think of, you know, some big match that's going to be great, which obviously this was not super great, but I thought it was fine and, you know, did its job as they continue to tell this story and hopefully it, you know, grows into something else. Uh, then match number six, Saki Sama and Masao defeating Rika Tatsumi and Miyu Watanabe. Oh, I realized I didn't give my thoughts on it at all. It was, I liked it. I, I mean, I look, I'm not really like at the point where I'm sick of the Maki Ito acts yet. I get some people, I get that some people are, um, this is kind of what I expected it to be, though. It's fucking Aja Kong. Like, what? The, thought they were gonna go fifty-fifty. I, I just, I don't, I didn't understand some of the reaction on Twitter. Like, you know, I, she can be competitive with people, but just this is what this is always gonna be. It's gonna be her dying to Aja Kong. Like, that's, that's what this is gonna be. So I don't know. I think some people expected more out of Maki here, but I just think it was another chance for her to do her whole gimmick where she, you know, flips the other person and screams as she gets killed. But if you're sick of that, I guess that's fine. But, I mean, she gets enough offense, uh, you know, that that she can't really, that she can't really, uh, you know, it doesn't really bother me. Folks, I'm sorry I just, like, broke up there for a second. If you tell your brother when they message you that you're doing a podcast, you would think that makes them stop messaging you, right? Apparently not my brother. But anyway, um, yes, so that's like, uh, it was a good match. I don't know why people complain so much about the Aja Kong and Maki Ito thing. It's pretty much what I expected. Match number six, Saki-sama and Masao defeating Rika Tatsumi and Miyu Watanabe when Masao pinned Tatsumi with the v- Vanitas, I guess. Vanitas? I went 11.47. Um, 
Misawa was like so badass as Isaki Sama assistant. I know people really miss the superhero gimmick, but I thought I still think it's a you know there's a good gimmick too. Um, but yeah, I, I just again Saki Saki looked good here. I thought I think her her striking has improved a lot. She had these like really like vicious kicks and uh, stomping with her like stomping with her feet to get out of the trying to get out of the arm bar that she was in at one point. And I'm not sure she would have done that like if, even a year or two ago. Like it just looked a lot more brutal than a lot of like Saki Akai matches have looked. And her her kicks in general, even from like a standing position, have gotten a lot better. And she's just much better in this gimmick than she is herself. I think I said that from day one pretty much. Um, but yeah, this is like another three and a half star, like really fun tag. I liked it as well. I'm still freaked out because I don't, something in my mind, I don't believe that Hyper Masao and Masao are the same person. <laughs> um, I believe that they did some sort of switch of literal literal human beings because I look at the, I look at two pictures of them and I, or of her, and I think they can't, I, it's just so, it freaks me out. Um but I thought the match was good. Obviously, this is, I mean, I'm really liking this story and, uh, with, with Rika uh, Tatsumi. And this is sort of the next step in it. So I'm interested to see. Do you think that Masao ever goes, maybe not even goes back to the old gimmick, but ever gets out from under Saki-sama? Yes, but not for a long time. Right. Yeah. Um, that was a question. That's a mailbag question, I guess. I guess we just answered it. But oh yeah. well, maybe that is what put it in my head. Well, <laughs> killing two birds with one stone. Um, yeah, I think she will, but probably not till like the end of the year at the earliest. Right. Yeah, but I I, I liked it. Yeah. Uh, after that, we had the Tokyo Princess Tag Team Titles: Yuka Sakazaki and Mizuki defeating Natsubimaki and Hikari Noah. And Yuka pinned no with the magical magical girl splash in thirteen eleven. Uh, that was their sixth defense. First of all, the white the match with Sugar Rabbits fucking awesome. They had they like pretty much them in a tag title match anywhere, but especially at Corgan Hall is like the biggest lock in wrestling now to be like a four star match. And this one was again, um, you know, pandemic boo boo as uh, Maki and Hikari Noah were, were called. They were great challengers. Had a really fun match here. Um, Hikari Noah was like busting out like Sambo suplexes. Like where the fuck did that come from? It's like she did one that was looked so good it would make uh, you know, would make Hiroshi Hase himself proud. So that was great. And there's this moment early on that really stood out, stands out in my mind where like Yuka Sakazaki like knocks Maki over with a shoulder block and then just stands there for a while like completely stone faced. I don't know why this did that in my mind so much, but like she just looked like such a badass when she did that. So way to go, Yuka Sakazaki. Um, but yeah, this was great. Another four star match. And I'm very, very, I'm very happy with this. Uh, and then after the match, we'll talk about what, well, I'll talk about that in a sec. What'd you think of this one? I really liked it. I also went four stars. My question is obviously, they don't have a great volume of matches. But are the Magical Sugar Rabbits sort of Dark Horse Tag Team of the Year contenders? Yes, yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, they... Because I totally agree with you. I think every certainly every Corkin match they've had this year has been at least four stars. Um, and I think they're really great, which sort of these matches happen, and I go, oh, I hope they keep the titles just because 
they're almost a guaranteed, you know, great match on every show. Um, cause I was sort of thinking about it. I mean, I might put them in my top three or maybe top five in terms of, of tag teams from this year. Yeah. Um, I mean, if will we do that, ha- I mean, I always do like a half year episode. I mean, they might be my number one. Cause I don't know, because I, I mean, maybe I'd have to see, like, think about the violence giants and, uh, you know, Sekimoto and Okabayashi, but they just have those two matches. So I don't know. I really have to think about it. But like, yeah, this they there might be in my top. I think for sure in my top three, and it might be my favorite tag team of the year. So I'd have to think about it for a little bit, probably. Um, afterwards, though, Sakisama and Masao made their challenge. So this that might be it for the Sugar Rabbits. They might if if it's felt like that's leading to a Sakisama and Masao title reign for pretty much since they joined together. Um, and they also tease they want Mizuki. Which, uh, you know, I don't know if that's going to go anywhere, but maybe Mizuki turns on Yuka and joins up with them. I could say it. I mean, that'd be like a real rebuild for Neo Bishiki Goon. But, um, you know, I don't have they, I don't think they've, they've never had two more than two actual wrestlers at once, right? So I think it was. Um, let's. Because, like, they had the other random assistants, like the the nurse Martina. Or not that right? No, not Martha. The, no, no, Martha. Martha was the she was like the maid. I think about it. And right. The, and the nurse, I mean, they had Yoshiko, but that was sort of a one. Yeah, that was like a one off. That yeah. was a one off. They had the doctor, not the nurse, and that was like a real doctor. And obviously, they have Yukio when he ever he feels like showing up. So, um, I don't know why I called Martha Martin. I apologize. So the main event, the Tokyo. Pre- Princess of Princess title, Shoko Nakajima defeating Miyu Yamashita with the Locomotion Northern Light Suplex in 1757. So Yamashita fails in her 11th defense. She's been champion for, you know, over over 16 months now, I believe. I think she 500 days, 500 yeah, she, plus days or something. She won it January 4th, 2018. So from from Rika from, uh, Tatsumi. So, or, I mean, sorry, from Rika Saiki. I wish Rika Tatsumi. Um, and then the you know this was uh, Nakajima becoming only, only the sixth champion so there hasn't been that many it's a very protected belt you know I mean the belt went Miu um, then you then, not you the listener but you the wrestler then um, then Yuka Sakazaki the only zero defense type champion I'm glad that popped Taylor my not you, somewhere. not you, the listener. <laughs> don't don't get too big a head, don't listener. It don't wasn't you. <laughs> you, then Yuka Sakazaki, then Reika Saiki, then back to Miyu, the only two-time champion, now Shoko. So um, I think you and I are about to get a lot of hate on Twitter because I got a lot of hate on Twitter for se- just for saying I gave the match three and a quarter. Um, look, here's my problem with this match. First of all, I never thought that Shoko, it didn't feel like an earned victory. And some people are saying that's good. And that makes her feel like, you know, someone who just got lucky and me, still the ace and all that. And that's fine. I guess I can, I can understand that story. I just think that's a big letdown after 16 months of this title reign. Like I felt like it should end on like a more, you know, like a definitive victory by like a big star, you know, or the next big star or something. Whereas like, this is more like a gold watch for Nakajima, who's been there since day one. And I like Nakajima. I have nothing against against the, the big kaiju. But 
it just feels like this kind of rain. I don't know if this is the best timing for it, you know? Um, you know, on top of that, they just was a lot of sloppiness in this match. It felt like they're on different pages a lot of the time. I think it almost kind of plays into the story of like them, of this struggle, but it was very, very sloppy. So that's why, one of the reasons why I can't go higher than like three and a quarter. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's, there's a number of, there were a number of spots that just were sloppy or not well executed, but the layout of the match is very good. And I think the, there were a lot of intangibles to the match that I think were good, but you know, that's why I'm still giving it like three and a quarter. I just can't see going any higher than that. Uh, what did you think? I mean, I thought the mess, uh, <laughs> well, that's what I, I thought the match was, the um, was a mess. Yes. Um, you know, I feel, uh, that I am fairly lenient in terms of mistakes or whatever you want to call them in matches. I have many matches I've rigged very highly that if you went back, there would probably be a spot where you might say, Ooh, that was, um, that didn't go very well. So yeah, the I do, only thing that the only thing that to me, when you have a spot like that, that can't be five. That's, that's it for me. But other than that, you can still be very high. I mean, and sometimes it depends on what is, you know, yeah. is the mistake that it takes an extra second to do something or is the mistake that someone falls off something when they shouldn't. Um, but to me, so usually if it's one thing, I'm pretty lenient. I go, okay, you know, it's not perfect. You know, things happen and some things you can't count on. To me, there were multiple things in this match that were just straight up missed or not done correctly. And on top of that, there were other things that just didn't look good. I mean, the finish, I got what they were going for, but it didn't exactly work. I mean, they got there in the end and she got the pin. I just thought it was all over the place. I'm with you that it felt very sort of like, oh, it's that's the end of the, you know, 500 day title reign is this sort of, oh, huh, it's over. I also feel that if you're going to have someone hold the title for that long, I'm hoping that when the person beats you, not you, the listener, <laughs> that it feels like a big moment. And to me, it this didn't feel like, now, look, I am not the Tokyo Joshi Pro number one fan, uh, which I will fully admit, but I do watch their shows. I watch a good amount of their shows. And just to me, it felt like, oh, this is the big champ and here's a match where she sort of goes down and that's it. Now, I should have probably had alarms going off in my head when, you know, Miu won the Shine title during WrestleMania weekend and they announced that Allison Kay is coming over for a rematch. And when they announced it, I thought, oh, that's interesting because it feels like if you're flying her over for a rematch that Allison Kay is going to win. But how are they going to do that? How are they going to beat her if she's the, you know, still holding the title? which the solution to that is she loses the title before this other match. Um, so I guess I maybe should have seen it coming more, but I didn't. And I just thought it was for a big, you know, the top match in a promotion at Corican Hall. I mean, this is a big match. It was very sloppy. I mean, I think about it. 
you know, not that I hold them to the exact same standards um, because of various things, but if New Japan had this sort of match between two people and there were four or five things that were just terribly missed, I mean, I would say the same thing where it's like, what? They didn't even seem on the same page at, for most part. I mean, the middle, Miyu kind of got it back with, you know, some nice looking kicks. She has great looking offense, which sort of turned it around, but it just never seemed to ever come together for me um, as a sort of cohesive, you as a cohesive thing in terms of, oh, it seems like they're on the same page and they know what's happening. Yeah. So I agree with you. I just don't, I don't, don't, can't see it going much higher than that. But, you know, I, if people, I, some people are, I, I mean, I like Shoko, but she's never been one of like my all time favorites. So if she's one of your favorites and you're just really happy she's champion, you know, that's fine. But I got people very angry at me on Twitter just to say, just for saying like, you know, I didn't think it was the greatest match. But, well, you know. I've, I am the um, most, uh, visited guest on this podcast and I have never been added uh, for any one of my opinions on this show. So maybe mm-hmm. this will be the thing that finally gets people uh, <laughs> mad at me. Okay. We'll see. But I guess we can pretty much finish it up there. Good. Still a good show though. You know, not like it was a bad show. Just to me, not up to the standard of some of the other Tokyo Joshi, uh, you know, some of the other Tokyo Joshi Korokans over the years, just because the main event wasn't really up to that standard, but still a good, still like an enjoyable show. Yeah. I mean, as we mentioned, the tag title match was really great. I really liked that. And some of the stuff down the card was, was good. So, I mean, certainly not a terrible show, but you know, the, the high expectations, at least for me, and I think for you in the main event, were not, we're, we're not met, and because that's the last match, you can sometimes leave feeling a little a little bit down on the show, even though it wasn't a bad show. Yeah. So that will take us to the mailbag now to wrap things up. We did get a bunch of questions here, so let's see how many we can get through because I'm already very tired. Um, so let's start with... I'm obviously stalling. All right, Michael Levy. Do you think the announced main event of Dominion is a clear warning shot about New Japan's future U.S. partnership plans or just a one-off because of who it is? Um, hmm. That's a good question. I mean, everybody knows that Omega and Jericho both have it in their contracts so they can go work in New Japan whenever they want. Um, so on the on service level, it's really not that big of a deal because it probably just means that Jericho made his deal. New Japan wanted to do this match. They didn't, you know, they needed a minion main event. They didn't want to burn Okada Naito, obviously. They didn't want to burn Okada Ibushi because they're saving that probably for the G1. Um, you know, they just didn't want to do Okada White again. So yeah, it makes all the sense in the world they go make this deal. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to join up at AW. What I would be interested to know is, like, first of all, how does Ring of Honor feel about this? I mean, they don't really have a lot of room to complain but we know apparently that they, you know, judging by what people have said and hints people have made, that it sounds like Ring of Honor got Jericho Tanahashi nixed for MSG because they didn't want Jericho on a show that, you know, they were co-promoting when he's an AEW guy. So 
are they cool with an AEW guy working the main event of New Japan's, you know, second biggest standalone show of the year? Do they care that he's coming two weeks after Double or Nothing? Uh, how does AEW feel about this? I mean, there are a lot of questions here. And I think it at least signals to everybody that, like, even if New Japan's not going to make a, a partnership with, with uh, AEW right away, they're at least willing to book Omega and White, um, or Omega and Jericho. So, you know, I think at the very least, it shows they're not going to let Ring of Honor block them from doing that. I don't know if it says anything long-term about, like, if they're planning to make a bigger deal with AEW as a whole, but I think it at least says that they're not willing, they're not going to, like, not book Omega and Jericho just to kowtow to Ring of Honor. And why should they, honestly? Well, I also don't know. I mean, I don't know how long this match has been in the works. It's very possible that they had this idea a long time ago and that the whole AEW thing went down post them deciding that. So it's sort of a grandfathered in. Sure, you'll come in. Um, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Don't you think that this they planned out the year? And yes, that was always the plan, but so was probably Jericho and Tanahashi. And that got mixed. Yeah, I guess that is true. But I guess the I guess the thing there would be, well, what happens there? And the answer might just be that Jericho wins, and then that's his justification for saying, hey, I want a title match because I just beat Tanahashi. Whereas here, the justification is sort of like, well, I'm appearing, and yeah. so give me a title match. <laughs> but um, I, I saw people complain about that. I mean, look, to, is, it, is it a little stupid? Sure. But they do that all the time. It's not like it's Jericho's the first guy who has asked for a title shot for no reason. Right. Um, to the second point uh, about Ring of Honor, frankly, if I was New Japan, I would not. I would not care two shits about what Ring <laughs> of Honor thinks because, frankly, <laughs> what. So Ring of let's pretend Ring of Honor is very mad that Jericho's coming in. What are they gonna what what will they do? Will they say, well, you can't come over and work our War of the World shows, um, <laughs> Yuji Nagata? We you know does does New Japan go, oh gosh, well, that's a big problem. Because the other thing is, even if Ring of Honor wasn't a totally sunk company without New Japan. They know if Ring of Honor goes, well, we don't want to work with you anymore, then New Japan goes, great, we'll work with All Elite. Yeah. No problem. I mean, Ring of Honor has no leverage in any situation to tell New Japan anything of what to do. I mean, they have no power. They're totally sunk without them. I mean, the roster would be total trash, as we saw oh, yeah. from the from the Battle Royal mm -hmm. when every Ring of Honor uh, worker got absolutely no reaction. Uh, so to me, I, maybe it was planned after Jericho went to All Elite, but it, at the end of the day, New Japan's got to look out for New Japan. Who cares about Ring of Honor? Yeah, I, mean, I don't think it, I don't think it signals that they're definitely going to drop ROH for AWE though. I no, I don't. I don't think that. And as I said, it could have been planned many months in advance and not mean anything. But I think. Ring of Honor, uh, not Ring of Honor, New Japan should at all times do whatever is best for New Japan and, you know, not worry about, even if they were in a, you know, if they moved to All Elite, I would say the same thing where you got to do what's best for your own company. Now, if if they did sign up with All Elite, All Elite might help them a little bit more. 
Um, so they have a little bit more reason to go with them, but you know, you got to put your own company first. You know, I, what I think people miss when it comes to that AWRH thing is, you know, I understand everybody wants to join with AW because they rather see the AW roster, which I don't even disagree with that really. But what people don't give enough thought to is we just, as we just said, Ring of Honor is in a position where they're basically subservient to New Japan. That they cannot fucking do anything without them. It, in a lot of ways, New Japan may just prefer a subservient Western partner versus a Western partner that maybe wants to be more of an equal in the relationship. You know, so I mean, AEW has a lot of other, a lot of leverage. Ring of Honor does not. They have a, you know, an owner spending a lot, lot more money. They're going to probably have national television. It's just a completely different level of promotion. Than it looks what it looks like Ring of Honor is going to be. I know some Ring of Honor fans might not want to hear that, but it's just on paper at least. I think AEW maybe New Japan just looks at it like you know AEW would be harder for us to work with, and they might have their own demands, and you know they'd be more of an equal in the relationship. Whereas it's like we tell Ring of Honor this, and Ring of Honor kind of has to do this, you know. But all right, so Private Eyeball, which New Japan wrestler be the best at carpentry? Taylor, go ahead. Um, so I actually saw this question before, so I'm a little bit prepared. I think when I think of carpentry, this is going to be so, I mean, this might not be a totally serious answer, but oh well. Um, so when I think of carpentry, I think of Jesus. And so I thought, which wrestler on the New Japan roster most looks like Jesus? Sonata. And for, for some reason... Did you just say Sonata? They got the beard. No. Oh, come on. Sonata and yeah. Jesus? What Jesus. kind of photos of Jesus have you ever seen? <laughs> with a mohawk, with a blonde yeah. mohawk and, a, and an Amish beard. <laughs> Sonata H. Christ. Um, so, well, you might laugh at my answer, which is Hikaleo, maybe. <laughs> what? Why? He's kind of got long, you know, he's got the beard. He's kind of got long... Uh, you know, long flowing locks. You know, he's not a he's not a young boy, um, but he's not wrestling in big matches, so he probably has a lot of time. He could probably hone his skills um, and do a lot of practice in his off time, um, which you know some other people might not have because they're either young lions who have to do all this work, or they're you know main eventers who are doing press conferences and big matches and things like that. So I thought that also would be the perfect, you know, sort of middle ground where you could have a nice hobby um, outside of your wrestling. So my answer is Hikaleo. Sure. Uh, anyway, so the next question here, as I again stall, because I don't wait a minute. You, wait, is your answer Sonata? Sure. I don't know. Who gives a shit? My answer is who gives a shit? These fucking eyeball questions. I appreciate John, your listener John, to eyeball, but John, you need to respect your listeners. Okay, I'm sorry. You already yelled at them earlier in the podcast. That <laughs> no, they're not you. <laughs> all right, I'm, I'm sorry. I love you, eyeball. But you have all your questions. Um, okay, so at Lost in Comedy Nine, is B Priestley a great World of Stardom champion or the greatest World of Stardom champion of all time? Obviously, Taylor, this is all for you. Um, you know, I think that she's been 
she's been pretty good. I think John, you and I both liked her on the New York show um, yeah. and thought she did very well. And, you know, she won the title from Kagetsu who that, that title has largely, it feels like it's been sitting there waiting for something to happen with it. Uh, I felt for, like that was Tony Stormer's champion. Right. For a while. Um, so this is sort of an interesting direction. She's now, a, uh, B Priestley is now a full-time roster member and, you know, working with a lot of these talented people can make a lot of people, um, better wrestlers as we've seen partially with rebel Kel, as we talked about earlier. Um, so I don't know if she's the greatest, um, champion ever, but I'm certainly interested to see, uh, the types of matches that she can have. Cause I think that she's improving and maybe we'll get even better. Yeah, I agree. I don't got a problem with her. Uh, I mean, look, I know some people really hate her and there was like some meltdowns, but I don't, I don't mind her as champion. I mean, that red belt has become such a secondary title to the, to the white belt since every, uh, with this like big giant Momo reign anyway, that I don't really know if it matters that much to be won it, but you know, it's, it is what it is, you know? I mean, I forget that Kagetsu has it sometimes, so I should tell you how great that title ring was. Uh, at Lost in Comedy 89, thoughts on either Ibushi beating Naito three times in a row or Naito winning the Ice title right back, back right before G1? What do you think is going to happen here? Because my gut says Naito is winning this belt back and people are going to be angry, but I think Naito is winning the Ice I don't think he's going to lose to Ibushi three times in a row, and... I think he's going to beat Ibushi and I think he's going to win the G1 and they're going to do the title versus title thing. I think that, I don't think that was, uh, I don't think that was bullshit by Naito. I think that's where they're going. I mean, uh, I th- think the same thing. I don't see, I mean, I think that Russell, the Russell kingdom match is definitely going to be with, they're going to have both titles. So if you don't put the title on Naito now, what is the other time when you would put that on it where he would have the intercontinental title for Russell kingdom? And the answer is I can't even think of a scenario in which that would work. So I think he wins. He goes into the G one as champion. He wins, keeps the title. Um, probably has, I don't know, maybe with the briefcase matches, I don't know if he puts one or the other on the line or both or something to make those big matches. And then you go in because you've got to make the match as big as possible for Wrestle Kingdom, whichever night they put it on. And that's really the only way. I don't know if there's any other stipulation or occurrence where the match becomes bigger than having both titles in the match. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. He's talked about it forever. Um, You know, I just I think it's what's happening. So. I know people really like Kota with the white belt, but I just think this is what they're doing. I think they're doing Okada and Naito for both titles. So, um, okay. From at, what the hell is this? Calvinist Eeyore. What a fucking name there. Sauce on Beam Priestley, the Japanese, taking the Japanese Ocean Cyclone Suplex and renaming it the Queen's Landing. I really couldn't give less of a shit, honestly. So I understand some people being like very angry about this. And I love Manami Toyota. It's a fucking wrestling move. Who cares? Um, I will say, I my personal belief is that 
you know, there's so many wrestling moves that everyone, you know, use everyone else's wrestling moves. And that's often, I'm totally fine with people using other people's wrestling moves. That's often how moves improve or change um, because someone else uses them and changes a little bit about them. Now, I will say this. I'm not sure after Toyota came out and said, hey, don't do this move, that I would keep doing it just from a perspective of um, maybe from a perspective of just respect, just as in my life, if I were doing something and someone came up and said, hey, you know, you're doing this, but I'd really prefer you not do that, um, which can apply to many different things that I would just keep doing it because, um, but I'm not in any way um, livid about this or anything like that. You know, it's wrestling and she, you know, no one has a trademark on any move in wrestling unless there's something I'm not aware of. <laughs> um, so people are, you know, free to use whatever they want. I mean, and it's wherever you fall on the system of, you know, someone says, hey, you know, can you not do that? I mean... It's a request, but you don't have to honor it. But, you know, it's all it's all a personal opinion thing. But, you know, I don't yeah. think it's that big of a deal. Um, at AWQ1985, do you it's two questions here. Do you think Shoko is a transitional champ or one with legs? I would guess transitional. I don't I mean, she's going to beat Thunder Rosa, obviously. But um, I would guess she ends up losing to somebody else pretty quickly. Um, I'm just trying to think who, I, think you could I mean, do, the you question could do, is, you could do Tatsumi finally. Yeah. I guess the question is if she's transitional, then you would probably have to be able to come up with someone off the top of your head, because that means they're probably going to be winning sooner rather than later. Um, yeah, it could be Tatsumi, um, which would obviously add more juice to the, um, feud with Masao. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I could see that happening, but as you said, there have not been many champions in the history of the promotion. So it's very possible that she keeps the belt for, you know, maybe not as long as Miu, but you know, for, for a little while. Uh, at, oh, the other question was John's choice for Taichi G1 opponents. Um, I mean, Ishii would have been the top of my list, but now it looks like they're doing that at Dominion. Um, I really want to see Taichi and Naito again because that was just an incredible match, even with all the pre-match shenanigans. And I think they could even do one that gets even, you know, wider praise without doing all that pre-match attack stuff. Um, I mean, we never—they've never really done Okada Taichi, so I'm I'm curious about that match. I mean, pretty much there's a lot of guys because he hasn't been a heavyweight for that long. There's a lot of guys still that he could do fresh matchups with. Um, like Okada's one, um, obviously any any inter Suzuki Goon match, either Minoru Suzuki or Zack Saber Jr. would both be awesome. Either you know, either in both different ways. Zack has been like his partner for a while now, and Suzuki obviously they've been in the same unit forever and never really faced each other. So both of those would rule. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't, I can't remember him facing Abushi. That would be really cool. Um, even another match with Tanahashi would be cool. I mean, it's really there's there's very few people on the roster I wouldn't really like to see Taiji against. But I think my number one request, if I thought think about it, is I'm really curious what Taiji Okada would be like 
I'd love to see Taichi Naito again because the match was so good this year. And I really want to see Taichi against either Suzuki or Zach from Suzuki. Either one I'll take. So because we're not going to get both. They're not all going to be in the same block. But I hope he's in the same block with at least one of the two. I don't know. He asked me specifically, but do you have any picks for this, Taylor? Well, there's a question for you. So to respect the, the question, I will <laughs> uh, not answer. Okay. At Hoho Waza, I'm going to give this one to you anyway. Maki Ito says she wants to wrestle more matches abroad. What non-Japanese opponents would be good for her to face, in your opinion? I mean, you, I do not watch uh, much indie American women's wrestling, so you you watch a lot more of it than I do. So who would you want to see Maki Ito face? Um, I'm trying to think of people who would... I'm just trying to think of people who would sort of give that... Um, just the way they do it of sort of making Maki the underdog. Um, I mean, Chris Statlander is sort of the big, if she hasn't broken out yet, um, I don't know if she's mainstream broken out, but she probably will soon. She's very talented. I mean, that would be um, a fun match just because I think Chris is very talented. Um, you know, it's a hard it's a hard question. I think, um, I don't know. Kira Hogan maybe would be good. I don't know how tall Kira is. Um, so they might be similar sizes. Um, I'm trying to think if anyone in U.S. Indies sort of has the same. Kira Hogan's 411. Look it up for you. Okay. I don't know if anyone in U.S. Indies sort of has the same sort of fuck you attitude that Maki does. I'm trying to think of if anyone, like someone like Shotzi Blackheart, because those are two sort of, um, you know, Shotzi has a lot of charisma um, that I think would be fun. She sort of, you know, got a sort of punk vibe about her. So that would, you know, she could probably have a lot of fun with the, oh, fuck you, fuck you sort of thing you know yeah but that's a that's a you know that's a more difficult question than i would think at first at first blush so but those are a few that i think would be fun at pk midwest top three guesses to win best of super junior i mean to me it has to be shingo i, I wouldn't even give three i mean the only I, I also think Shingo. I mean, Shingo and Osprey, which I think will be the final, so that would be two of them. Um, I mean, if there is going to be a dark horse, which I, I get, I don't think there will be, the only one I could see is Dragon Lee to name his own challenger of Hiromu. Yeah, that would work. I mean, the only way I could see Shingo not making it is if he somehow, some something like he loses to show on the very last night. Yeah which of course would be a huge thing because they've been building up this thing about how Shingo hasn't lost. But then of course he isn't in the, like, I don't know where the next step for that would be. Um, so I guess Dragon Lee's a good pick. And then just because he's new and they've been hyping him up so much, I mean, Phantasmo, I don't know that he'd be in my three, but he's probably in at least the top five um, really? in terms of, well, in terms of probability, you don't think he comes in and then goes 500 in the yeah. in the tournament. I mean, it, and I'm thinking about it maybe even from the perspective of, okay, you get three nights in and Shingo gets injured and he was the winner. Um, I mean, I guess Phantasmo could slot in because at least he's a new 
guy and it would be a you know would be an interesting matchup i i mean there are some people in this tournament who have no shot so in a way the people in maybe the top five have better than you know tiger mask is probably not winning Taka's is probably not winning yeah we don't have to go uh, through them all a lot of people probably not winning right um, um so let me just let me just say this about uh about Shingo and show because I'm glad you because you mentioned that it made me think of this. I mean, Gato has gotten a lot of hit over the, a lot of hate over the years for like not building anything up in the junior division other than the champion, which is mostly deserved. But he has actually done a like they've done a better job building up Shingo and show than like a lot of heavyweight matches. Like by the time this match goes in the ring, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be fucking like dying to see it. Like it just feels like we've been waiting all this time for that singles match, and they've done a really good job. So. I have to give him a shout out on that one. Uh, okay, let's see. Uh, okay, at Casual Wayne says, is Sari versus Sadamara women's match of the decade? I, and what other contenders do you see? I think we would need a lot of time for that to go through like every woman's match of the decade. I would just say it's up there for me and leave it at that. I mean, the fact that it's five, that both of us have given it five stars means it's probably up near the top. I would have to go through because I've given other women's matches five stars yeah, so in funny. the past few years. So, I, I mean, and so much of this is like uh, thinking back to what happened two years ago, I would have to go through and probably watch every match that I've given five stars in this decade. And then there's probably things I missed um, as well. So um, I probably can't give it that so easily, but. Um, I mean, being five stars, it's probably very close to the top at the uh, very least. So Emilia Hernandez says, two May debuts in New Japan, am I right? Um, I don't really agree, actually. I I like the fact that, like, things feel very unpredictable now. I, I Look, I, I there's too many white people. If, that's, if there's another white person, the Time's Up guy, then that's not great, really. But, like, I feel like New Japan almost can't win with this where it's like, you know, they get, they get accused of being too predictable and too stagnant. And then they bring in a bunch of new people and it's like, well, too many debuts. So I don't know. It feels like, what do you like this, this year to me has been very exciting and it feels like almost anything can happen, which last year, the last few years have felt very stagnant to me. So I've been, I'm into it. I'm, I'm like, when you watch this show and it's like, you know, here's a random fucking video for someone coming in a month. Like, that's cool. Like, that's a cool thing to me. Like, I'm, I'm into that. So, you know, I hope it ends up being someone good like Oka or something, but like it's exciting at least to not feel like everything is stuck, you know, which is how it felt to me last year. Right. And however you felt about them, they did just lose a number of people that were regular roster members. So they have to do something or else people would go, well, why is the roster so small? Everyone's facing each other all the same. Um, yeah. And it look, it hasn't helped that someone like Mikey Nichols has come in and been fairly underwhelming. I think if people are coming in and debuting and blowing everyone's socks off, people are not caring about it. Um, yeah. But the fact that people have come in and, and underwhelmed a bit um, and the fact that they played that Phantasmo video like 8,000 times. <laughs> um, I, know, I like this better when they're playing this. Like, I mean, they might keep playing this for the whole Best of Super Junior Tour and we're all going to get sick of it, but at least it feels like it's one big show and then he's, he's showing up on the next big show. Right. So, yeah. But I, but mostly I agree with you, yeah. Um, at K-O-L-D-P-T at Jose Maya, will Masao be safe? And, oh, we actually covered that. Will Masao be safe in Saki Tama's Evil Clutches? Okay. So I only got a couple questions left here. 
TJ Hawk says, not not that TJ Hawk, actually, at ASTIR, uh, rate these Sonata looks 1 to 10 and goes through four of them. So let's see. Russell won Sonata. I give that a four. Uh, he looks really like kind of like a dork. Oh, we're rating uh, the look? Yeah. Uh, I give that a five. Cold Skull Sonata, the original Cold Skull, I give that an eight. I really like that look. Uh, With the baseball bat and the mask and no facial hair. I give that a nine. Uh, Unicorn Horn Sonata, I guess that's like with the mask and maybe, I don't know if he means with the beard or not. I'm going to give that like a six. I'll give that, uh, I'll give that a four. And then finally, Pirates King Sonata, which is the one today. I don't know about that yet. It looks a little goofy, but it feels like one of those things that might actually grow on me. So I'm going to give that a either like a six or a not rated. Actually, I'm going to give the previous one a three and give this and give the number four a five. Okay. So there you go. Uh, At Joshi Valley, um, was Jordan Grace's Japanese debut successful enough for her to come back again? I think she fits in well at the Sunday roster. I don't know, Taylor, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, she certainly didn't do poorly and she's, you know, obviously talented. So, yeah, of course. I agree. Okay. So that's that. We went very long, but I guess we had a lot to cover. Taylor, go ahead and give me some plugs. Um, I don't know when this is coming out, but tonight, I just... Probably. Tonight, great. So I did a preview for uh, Dragon Gate's Dead or Alive show, which is happening on, on the 6th on Monday. Uh, for Voices of Wrestling, so you can go uh, see that as I preview all the matches for that big show. Um, you can find me on all social media at Taymambo, T-A-M-A-I-M-B-O. And of course, I'm sure I will probably be uh, back on this very show sooner rather than later, at least, I hope. Um, and maybe... Then. With a special appearance from uh, the land of the rising sun. Yeah, I was going to say, you'll be back on probably in a month when we're all in Japan. And, you know, unless you were planning to not show up for that. But <laughs> we can, you know, we, it'll be very easy to do it after, uh, probably after the best of super junior final because my, my Airbnb looks like it's about two minutes from Sumo Hall. So it'll be a very easy walk, you know. Yeah. So well, at least you're one there. Maybe one after Dominion too. I haven't really what to figure that out. That'll be a little tougher, but we'll figure that out, I guess. In the meantime, folks, thank you as always for listening. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Russell Omakase. Wrestling would not fit. Uh, we'll be back next week. No idea what the episode will be. I haven't really decided. Maybe we'll talk King of DT or something since we didn't get to that this week with the first round. Um, but yeah, uh, as always, we appreciate you listening. And we will see you next time.